Dad, Dad, can you, can you check under my bed for communism? Davy, Davy, what are you talking about? There's no communism under your bed. Please, Dad, could you just make sure there's no communism under my bed? Okay, I'll look. <laughs> there's nothing under your bed, Davy. It's important to remember that communism's just a boogeyman that conservatives throw out on TV to make you scared of what left-leaning people are doing in, in the government. There's no reason to fear communism. Communism is either a benevolent force or something that's not actually capable of being created. Either way, you have nothing to fear from communism, Davy. Are you sure? Of course, Davy. Besides, what made you so afraid of communism? Jordan Peterson? Jordan Peterson? What are you talking about, son? Where, where have you been hearing from Jordan Peterson? Jordan Peterson's in my closet, Dad. Son, Jordan Peterson, it... Did you just... Did you just say Jordan Peterson's in your closet, son? Yeah. Oh. Oh, God. Quick, son, we have to get out of the house! We have to get out of the house now! Go, 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 go! Hurry, run! Run! Down the stairs! Down the stairs! Go, 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 go! Welcome to the show. All right, uh... Welcome, uh, welcome back to Ruben Uncut. This is Ruben. We have, I have, uh, I'm doing another episode of a guest, so very special guest here, a, uh, a gentleman I met, uh, many years ago when I was in college. Um, this is, uh, um, uh, Mr. Ryan Lubin. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. All right. Yeah, no, it's great to have you here. And, um, so we'll just, I guess I'll just start off by, uh, but I guess starting with, I guess, what I could almost call the hook here. Uh, so you are a, um, you own your own business, correct? Yes. All right. And you are also a communist. Is that correct? Yes. All right. Excellent. Um, so I myself, um, I start as, I, I identify, I guess I would have politically identified, I've politically identified as a bunch of things throughout my life because the more, the more I get into politics and the more I, study any type of system there's always a a shifting of uh of the sands there to so to speak but i i guess i would now identify as uh maybe a, a democratic socialist okay uh generally speaking um so i just want to put out where i'm where i sort of come from in, in that regard um but so i think it's very um so i feel like i feel like there's a lot of misconceptions about communism and socialism in america and whatnot generally speaking um and i feel like some people would be confused to hear like that there is this communist business owner like they'd think that there's some type of conflict there because yeah. like it's a misconception people would have so um so how what are your thoughts on that well i'm really glad you asked that actually because one of the topics i wanted to discuss today was the overton window and how it keeps getting shifted First of okay. all, what it is, and because a lot of people have never even heard that term, yeah. Yeah. and then um, how it shifts, uh, the tactics it shifts, and then like um, really defining terms. That's a really good place to start in any kind of discussion is defining some terms so that we can move forward with uh, understanding that's uh, you know um, absolutely connected. You know, so 
Um, okay, so for a large percentage of the uh, population of the country, when they hear capitalist or communist or socialist, they all have a very, like you said, kind of sliding scale of what those words mean and yeah. wh wh where they came from, how old they are, um, things like this. So uh, communism and socialism were both coined by Karl Marx um, and uh, Engels uh, in the 1800s. And they are essentially a critique of capitalism, yeah. first and foremost. It's a critique of capitalism. It's not necessarily a um, prescription for what should come next. It's mostly, I would say, a critique of capitalism. They do discuss what could come next, but it's, you know, it doesn't necessarily apply to our current state of the world with accessibility to transportation and information and things things are very different in a lot of ways but a lot of, a lot of very similar it was intended for an industrialized society yes yes so that's why i'm not just a communist i'm an intersectional anarcho-communist which are to quote um america johnson uh is a uh, is three legs of a table you know, and it, without each one of those legs, the table would collapse. And it kind of is a full spectrum approach to it to say, you know, I'm just a communist would kind of, I think, be limited and um, not necessarily accurate. So I want to be very clear about that. So um, communism is often described in many different ways. But in America, for the last basically like 70 years, there's been a propaganda uh, engine, uh, starting with McCarthyism and the Red Scare against uh, the Soviet Union during the Cold War. And um, what they have presented it as is a false dichotomy, which is a, a fallacy in logic, which is presenting it's only these two options are what's available to us, which is basically big government or small government, right? So that's how America frames the left and the right is big government versus small government. And the right often frames that big government is bad for business, so it's bad for you as an individual. And the left says that, you know, uh, I should say the liberals, which are not really leftists, um, <laughs> uh, should say that the. Uh, um, they're more like they're more like center adjacent. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't actually believe in a center, but well, I mean. I, yeah, the it's but, really but, but there's a more debate about people, people use the word centrist all the time, and I just I don't necessarily agree with it. But um, basically, that big government uh, protects the individual, and and uh, that small government is predatory. All right, so that's that's kind of the the, the thing. So uh, what I would like to clarify is that those are both forms of capitalist governments. So whether it's a large capitalist government or a small capitalist government, that's not the only options we have. And that's the false dichotomy that's presented is big government versus small government. And it's much more nuanced and, uh, you know, complicated than that. So when we remove nuance, we get uh, kind of like hyper-focused and extremist views. And that's what we're seeing in our, in our world a lot right now is the far right is very uh, focused on a very specific thing and then the liberals are very sp uh, focused on a very specific thing and neither of them are helping the people at all and the liberals continually give a lot of fuel to the conservatives criticisms of them you know and 
yeah. that gives us then a kind of like upward battle, you know, upward hill battle to to uh, fight. So again, so uh, that's how America at large kind of understands governments and left versus right dichotomies. But in a lot of other places in the world, they do not see it that way. They see a much more diverse and nuanced perspective. So um, uh, getting back to the Overton window we were discussing, right? Yeah. So you got on the, uh, there's much more nuance than even I'm going to be able to describe here, but just, you know, kind what, of is basic the, uh, what is this? What is the layman's, the layman's version of the Overton window? How a society views the left-right paradigm and, and where they see themselves on it, basically. So for, you know, the late 1800s, early 1900s, our country was very leftist in a lot of ways. Uh, we had uh, huge um, uh, protests for labor rights, for civil rights, uh, all kinds of things. And um, that progressive movement, I, I hate to use that term in some ways because it's been kind of uh, pulled by the Democrats to yeah. mean liberal things, but, and I don't mean it that way. So I just want to clarify that as well. But um, that the... Uh, progressive attempt to in uh to better the individual's life through uh, political action through collective action was much more alive in that time i mean we fought hard for our labor rights for our sick days for our lunch breaks for our fire safety rights at, at work for all these things and we understood as a people what the problem was in a lot of ways not i mean obviously not everybody but it, it, there was a larger population of people who were leftist thinking mm -hmm. and then with the red scare it was basically illegal to think that it was su super dangerous for yourself to announce that you were a communist that means you're a spy and you know what i mean so it got really pushed into the people's minds that not only is it evil and that it's basically hitler but um that um you know, you can't even begin to think like that. You can't even look at those books, you know? You mentioned, Macar you mentioned McCarthyism, and, like, when I think of McCarthyism, I just think, like, people complain about cancel culture now. But, like, <laughs> but like man, that was the real shit back then. Like, cancel culture, then McCarthyism. Like, they, they wrote up a list. They went down the line. They started saying, you can't work anymore to, like, hundreds and p hundreds of people. And, yeah. and like, it was like a that was a real witch hunt. People selling each other out to not get blacklisted. But now Absolutely. and that was the government. Like, that's the big thing in this situation. It was the government. And now it's people say mean things to you on Twitter. And suddenly you feel like you're you are on the same level of being canceled. It's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. Well, I think it all has to stem from. Uh... <laughs> Issues with our psychology, actually, and identity, and how we incorporate our opinions and ideas that we're having in this moment to our core identity, and then we carry that with us and attach it to ourselves, and then it becomes a lot of virtue signaling, it becomes a lot of, like, ineffective pageantry that actually doesn't do anything for anybody, and... and doesn't even make the person feel better either, it's just, uh, like I said, kind of pageantry, but, oh, um, pageantry. yeah, uh, so going back to the saying, yes, yes. no 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 that's great it's great I, I love where the where we go you know what i mean there's going to be trees growing from every conversation I, uh sure. so um the, the like so like uh, going back to cancel culture for just a second on the mccarthyism that is super cancel culture but i would say even worse cancel culture if you would still call it that and i 
I think would would be, you know, like what the Soviet Union did to dissenters, you know what I mean? Sending them to the gulag or just shooting them, you know what I mean? Like that's really canceling people, you know what I mean? And like also like Hitler did, you know what I mean? He killed dissenters. I mean, that's what most dictators do. That's really cancel culture. When like, I mean, with Putin, you know what I mean? You can't even be his political adversary or you're going to suicide yourself. You know what I mean? You can't be a, a, journalists discussing or a band rebelling against them in in russia because you're going to be silenced you know or put in jail you know like like uh pussy riot you know yeah no absolutely so like i i, I this is jumping off here again but like you mentioned this and it, it does make me think like um so like that is the other thing is that i do think it's important that uh, since we've already described ourselves as communists and democratic socialists i feel like there's this major misconception uh in the public that like if you say oh i'm a socialist or hey i'm a communist then there's going to be the then people immediately just want to be like throwing like the ussr or or like or like stalin in your face and and it's like so like so like the thing is like i don't support any of those countries not at all not china not 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 cuba i mean some some aspects of what how they're organizing certain things are good and we can be able to look at a diverse nuanced series of policies and be able to be like wow well like 90 percent of this is authoritarian and terrible but 10 yeah. percent of this is actually working really well and that's why their education systems are really high you know they produce a lot more scientists and doctors and they actually produce much better engineers all, all kinds of things there's a lot of those those patterns that we can see from some of their policies and take from them and i mean like almost like bruce lee you know what i mean you gotta take from what styles work and and be able to discern those things and not attach an identity to just one policy and then put a blanket statement of no that's bad you know Absolutely. Uh, and i agree you know like the thing is marx wrote uh das kapital in the 1800s nice. and was not affiliated with stalin or lenin in any way really you know what i mean they like they, he was not a part of the russian revolution yeah and a uh, big fan of lincoln yes right you know what i mean like uh, and was a uh a very uh, um, avid uh, pen pal of of um, Charles Darwin, and the actual competing narratives for political ideology are still to this day from both of those two individuals. You got Karl Marx, who says, you know, basically communism and taking care of people through uh, collective works and making sure you own your own labor. It's a whole kind of things. We'll, we'll define communism in a minute, but. Um, when when then you look at the opposite side and you get social darwinism which they took the concepts of evolution and then they said oh well that has to apply now to the the way we structure society and from social darwinism you get eugenics literally it's like from there you get eugenics because then you start to decide wait some people are like more efficient so they're more evolved so they're better there's like there's a tier that becomes there a hierarchy and that leads to oh, eco-fascism, fascism, uh, genocidal thoughts. I mean, all kinds of things. Not necessarily. Oh, yeah. That's a slippery slope. If I mean to just say it's going to do that, but the ideology is that the strong survive. So if you're not surviving, you're weak, and then that creates that strong man concept and the weak man concept, which we're still fighting against today. Alpha and beta, and you know, uh, all that kind of thing. But absolutely, I I mean, so, like, the alpha okay. stuff is. 
the Alva stuff is ridiculous. Um, but um, so you mentioned you, you mentioned Darwin and uh, and and Marx there, and like that's really cool because one of the things that one of the big things I picked up in college was uh, was about modernism. And so, like right now, another narrative that I see a lot of on the on the it seems like mostly on the far right is this fear of like Marxist postmodernists, which is weird to me because like because because technically modernism, the thing the thing that postmodernism is the counter to was create is essentially based on the works of Marx, Darwin and Freud. Like that's mm -hmm. what modernism's basis is. It's a communist, a, an atheist, and a pervert. Like what? <laughs> like it's it's it, basically their theories were that human beings were economical, biological, and uh, psychological, and that was modernism. And now we hear, we hear all I hear is like, oh, Mo Marxist postmodernism. It's like, hold on. Marxism is based on materialism. It can't be postmodern. <laughs> that's insane. Exactly. Well, well th this this is a, a very common far right talking point that dates back a really long time. You know what I mean? It's always the scare tactic of mm -hmm. the uh, uh, the Marxists. You know what I mean? And I, I mean Jordan Peterson, among uh, many people, are perpetuating that narrative that you know, like postmodern uh, neo Marxists are taking over universities and pushing their agendas. But when Jordan Peterson debated uh, Zizek, Zizek, um, he in his opening statement admitted that he hasn't read. Uh, das Kapital, and he does not understand dialectical materialism or postmodernism and how they're completely antithetical to each other. He, he does not understand it all. And, and most people don't because we're not taught what either of those things are. So then these phrases can just be applied to anything. And that's going back to the Overton window and how it gets shifted through certain narratives to where people in our country, it's shifting far right. I mean, far right. The modern GOP is uh proto-fascists you know what i mean and like they keep fighting with each other whether or not they're gonna let fascism kind of in the door all the way and you know and it's heralded as an achievement beyond belief and a moral super, uh, superiority that mitch mcconnell can just admit that january 6th was an insurrection and that it was basically te political terrorism like and, and like to to that's how far it's moved that just admitting that means you're like a good guy. And he's Mitch McConnell's not a good guy. He, he has done so much to destroy so many he's uh, the lives and opportunities in this country for people. But going back again to over to window uh, communism, Marx and, and uh, Darwinism. So again, so like right now you have social Darwinists, which again are basically fascists. And then you have uh, Marxists, which are, you know, um, basically humanitarian uh communists and um and and in the middle in the middle you got people going i don't know which one of these is good and like so like i don't really call them centrists because it's like can you really just like can you compromise with fascists okay you can you can kill a couple people of color but 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 only a couple you know what i mean like no that's not how that works and the more we try to uh kind of like pander to them or or like trying to win them over through these kind of like, uh, you know, concessions, if you will, uh, it moves the Overton window farther and farther to the right because they it's they goalpost shift. They say, I say they're like, here, meet me in the middle, and then we meet them in the middle, and then they step back and they say, meet me in the middle, and then we meet them in the middle, and then they step back, and then all of a sudden we're so far to the right that, you know, people like Trump and you know Richard Spencer could like, become famous. So like, you know? I feel like it's almost like a problem 
in like the basic nature of of how democratically minded people versus like like a like a, a more autocratic type thinking uh, people function is the fact that um like democratic people our our entire beliefs are about the uh, the the reality that compromise is a necessary thing to like accomplish anything with a large group of people but then you have uh fascism <laughs> Where, where literally the concept of compromise is antithetical to fascism itself. Like, you can't compromise with fascists because fascism literally believes that compromise, compromising is a distraction from actually accomplishing things. Like, it's weak. It, it, so it's, so we, so as long as democratically minded people compromise with autocratic people, <laughs> it will always move to the right. Exactly. And that's why liberals are ineffective at combating fascism. And what we've seen time and again in this country and in the world that these these um, performative, you know, <laughs> they call it woke anymore. You know what I mean? Performative woke kind of gestures do nothing for the people's actual material uh, situations. And that's why they don't have faith in these institutions or these people, because they're not actually coming through ever. It's always, you know, like just half promises, you know, and pageantry. They're also so, bad at it. Well, you know, and what? if you look at people like Nancy Pelosi, it's like they're good at it, in, at what they want to do. And they, and they just don't care about anything else. You know what I mean? They have to perform. They have to do these things. But then when the doors close, they just write the, the laws that they want to write. You know what I mean? I remember there was, a, I think it was a Harvard study that, that studied that like, it was something like no matter what public opinion is, it's like 20% uh, of what the public actually wants gets done in Congress. And then then what actual businesses and corporations want is like 80% of what Congress actually ever does. And that is obviously a disproportionate and uh, unfair hierarchy, you know? And that's, again, what capitalism and versus communism is, is a critique of hierarchies and whether they're just or not. And most hierarchies are not justified and uh, create um, predatory nature or predatory markets or predatory um, environments for employees or, you know, uh, competing uh, spaces. I mean, there, there's so many different situations, you know, competition actually does not bring innovation. Competition actually stifles innovation. And there's so much evidence for that. It's not even funny. Um, I mean, because so, I mean, like, there's so much of a problem of racing to the bottom, like, because because part of because one method of getting ahead against other people is to cut corners so that you can produce faster or more efficiently and and that doesn't benefit society in the long run for people to operate in that mentality it's, absolutely it's very negative it's, it's even bad for the economy like we're you're just creating poorer and poorer pockets of society by by doing that instead of raising people up you're bringing the system down to a lower standard of living so that people who can afford that lower standard of living we need to bring the standard of living up not not break down the quality of society that doesn't that just yeah no it it's like we're it's, we're, it's like we're malnourishing the entire economy Definitely, definitely. And what you're discussing is called externalities, the externalities of capitalism. And most of those corners that are cut, like you said, 
end up hurting the society at large or the ecosystem, uh, which still will hurt the society at large. You know what I mean? In the, in the long run. Some of, those, some of those costs are passed on to like damage to societal structures and whatnot. Like when, <laughs> like when the river in here in Ohio caught on fire. Yeah. Like, that, that's oh, when all the people got cancer. And okay. all those people got the cancer from all the the water. This the same reason why it was on fire to begin with. They were all get, drinking the water and getting cancer, you know. And then that puts cost on them and puts cost on the system. And like, because when people only watch their, when we only watch our own bottom lines, it's easy to justify ruining other people's bottom lines. Exactly, and that's the rugged individualism that is antithetical to our entire evolution, actually, which is funny because they, they think they're social Darwinists, but they're actually antithetical to how our evolution actually works. And we're a cooperative species. That's literally how we defeated nature, if you will, and, and like got out of that cycle uh, is because we cooperated with each other. We don't have strong claws or teeth. We're not the fastest runners or the strongest things you know, in the world. We are thinkers and communicators, and that is our strength and cooperators. And when we're working together is when we're at our strongest. When we're fighting against each other for resources is when there's scarcity and, and uh, a lot of issues, you know what I mean? Social, mental, physical. Uh, I mean, like, and like you're talking about in Ohio, that's a great example. It's a great example. Um, that company was a leather processing company and they were, they wanted to cut corners um, because regulations are, are expensive to follow, right? So uh, the regulations are saying you have to uh, dispose of these harsh chemicals that you use to treat the leather uh, properly. You have to make sure they're put somewhere where they're not going to leak in the groundwater and, you know, all these things. Right. And those regulations are in place because we fought for them against these capitalist kind of minded people who will do anything they can for their dollar, doesn't care who, what they pollute or what they do. Right. The bottom line always is how do I cut that cost so I can make the most profit? Um, and so these these companies did that and now the narrative is regulations hurt businesses because it costs you more to do the right thing you know and, and so then they get to basically lobby with their billions of dollars and hurt regulations so like trump got in he changed so much of the epa he changed i mean like my um a uh, family member of mine, she works as a uh, biological consultant for the Marine Corps, I mean, the Army Corps of uh, Engineers in Ohio. And she had so much um, problems, so many problems while Trump was in office because he dismantled her entire office. He just, you know, he, they kept having to move because they didn't have the money. They, they kept having to, like, you know, uh, be understaffed. And it, it was insane. You know what I mean? And a lot of a lot of companies got hurt that were trying to do the right regulations because they couldn't get into their uh, through their calls. They couldn't, you know, do all these things. So it's it's not actually helping businesses to dismantle these these places. You know what I mean? And and yeah. like, uh, you know, uh, uh, undo these really important regulations. We have about a ten year blind spot as people. Every ten years, we forget why we did oh, anything yeah. politically. And then we oh, just yeah. are susceptible to propaganda again, and we just keep sliding. You know, it's probably every year, honestly. I, I, I might be, you know, being a little I mean, liberal with that. But. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is gas prices, where everyone's like freaking out. Oh, no, gas prices are over $3. And I was like, do you not remember the end of the Bush administration when they were like $4? 
Like, what are you... <laughs> this has happened before. In fact, gas prices used to be a hell of a lot lower. And then they got higher. And then when they got back down to like $2, people were like, oh, we're okay again. It's like, no, it's still a lot more than they used to be. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And that's, again, kind of an Overton window goalposting shift of like even what a good gas price is. Um, going back now, because um, I want to go back and make sure we define the terms just one more time. OK, yeah. um, uh, liberal. OK, so it, our liberals are capitalists. They believe to fix the woes of capitalism, you need more capitalism. And that's just not the way it works. You know what I mean? They, they, they think they can put a patchwork on this cracked and damaged system that works perfectly for the capitalist class and works terribly for any other class. So people without a means of production are not capitalists. You are capitalist uh, sympathizers, but you're not capitalists. Unless you actually own a company or a, a means of production, you're yeah, not a no capitalist. Matter. Right? So... Um, when, when we talk about the conservatives, uh, the, far, the, the right and then the far right, the fascists and the conservatives and then the liberals, which are all under the, capital, under the capitalist headliner. So, and capitalism is a right-wing ideology. So liberals are in the right wing of society. Um, and uh, then you have socialists, which in Das Kapital, socialism is a transitionary step to communism and that's all it is really it's it's taking some steps to basically like combat capitalism and limit capitalism in as many areas of the uh, government and society as possible to put more democracy in the workplace to put more democracy in the um in the communities for what kind of businesses will be put in there you know imagine if you could vote as a community to say hey i really don't want this fracking thing here you know i don't want you to frack here you know what i mean and you could vote on that and then they can't come there now in some places there is strong um uh community where the, you kind of have to vote or you kind of have to uh campaign for that but in most places the lobbying and everything like that goes on and none of the people care none of the people are paying attention or go to those meetings you know what i mean so in some ways we do have those voices and in some ways we were denied them you know mm -hmm. so getting as much democracy into the workplace is now getting into socialism and communism. In capitalism, when you go to work for a company, you have to do everything the boss says. Uh, and if you don't do that, the threat is that you will then be fired and starve and go homeless. So that's like the inherent threat in capitalist society to people. And that keeps us all on edge and in this grind so that we're never basically like, we never have time to do self-development, mental development, exactly. uh, physical development. We don't have time to do uh, child development. We don't have time to actually, you know, to take care of the things that actually matter. And so we're always in these grinds for this artificial uh, scarcity, essentially. Part of the hypocrisy is we don't even you don't even have the time to tell to do the things that capitalism says are good for you to do with your free time, right. like invest in yourself and like your business or community with your own like money and labor like capitalism says hey that's a good thing to do but like if you work over 40 hours a week when are you going to invest in and you if you work 40 over 40 hours a week and get minimum wage when are you going to invest in yourself and what are you going to invest with your, in yourself with 
it's it's like literally they're like here are the rules to the game oh you don't have all the game pieces exactly exactly and you know like you said also if you work 40 plus hours a week which most people have to do because of the cost of living in, mm-hmm. in, in most states and the low wages um people don't just get their that uh, extra time off there's the commute time which for some people is very long 45 minutes each way so it's not just an eight hour day or a 12 hour day that's a 14 hour day now and then when you get home you gotta clean you gotta clean yourself you gotta mm-hmm. fix a nutritious meal for yourself that you went to the had time to go to the grocery store had time to cut and prepare all these things and and cook all this stuff and then have and, time to clean afterward and then and then you're supposed to have time to be able to have a life and there's no time for that in there and that's if you live in an area where all those resources are readily available to you right. like if you live in a food desert it's gonna be even harder for you to get that food. And if you're gonna make it healthy, nutritious food, which is supposedly the food that's gonna make us do the best in this machine of a world that wants to grind us to paste, then you know, you gotta, then you're, now, if you're in a food desert, you're driving like 45 minutes to an hour just to get to the groceries too, and then you gotta come back to your home. It, people, for we our society fails to, factor in the actual valuable commodity which is our human time and energy exactly and that's why i'm a communist uh, a business owner because um whoever comes to work with me will not work for me they will become a co-owner and it's a it's a cooperative collective worker collective and they will have a democratic voice in uh how we operate how what you know like uh their pay they will have a, a democratic voice in how the business works. And it, that is really important to me because if you don't own your own labor, if you can't, if you can't um, voice how, you know, your own needs, then you are a slave. You are uh, a slave that is um, under constant threat of starvation and homelessness and also class rejection. Mm-hmm. That's, that's also inherent there is that it, you don't want to be homeless. You don't want to do that because you won't be able to, you know, all, all, this, all these things. It's, it's this just fear prop, uh, campaign that we've come to just accept. And that's, again, part of the Overton window and the goalposts that have been shifted on us that, like, we just accept that you're supposed to di- buy a diamond for a, a woman for, to, to marry her. And, like, that didn't come about until Tiffany's, uh, you know, and, and, and the 19. 19- early 1900s you know what i mean and And eggs and bacon are for breakfast and you need to take a bath every single day and you need and and blue is for boys and pink is for girls right there's so much of our society and culture that no one's that no we we take for granted as inherent but it's like no these were marketing these were all marketing and that's why i'm an intersectional uh anarcho-communist which this is the next term i'm gonna i'm gonna uh find intersectionality is when you basically are looking at systems and system analysis from a more scientific perspective and a more logical perspective and not from a confirmation bias and like personal agenda perspective so um intersectionality would say you know or i'm sorry like a, a white nationalist for instance would say um Oh, well, look, look at all the test scores and like, uh, you know, like poverty rates. And you would say that, like, they would say black people are dumber than white people. Right. And they would come to that conclusion. Uh, but being an intersection, uh, intersectional uh, communist, I look at 
the system of systems of systems because there's nothing that's independent in this universe. Everything is within a system of systems of systems of causalities. Mm-hmm. And th- th- there's always a first domino, you know, mm-hmm. and but conservatives live as in the, if the last domino was the first domino and it's all the individual's fault that do- that domino fell. And so an intersectional uh, person would look at the stats and say, oh, well, these marginalized groups of people like black people have been uh, systemically um, denied access to education, to security of home ownership, to uh, security of living in a uh, high tax bracket uh, community that has good schools and good um, roads and, you know, like uh, good policing. I mean, (laughs) that's almost an oxymoron to me, but, uh, you know, like essentially, you know, not targeted police enforcement through racial, uh, you know, means. Air, living in areas that are less likely to contain less or more likely to contain lead and and uh, food deserts and I mean there are food deserts in in uh, in rural areas too um, and also there are there are uh, poor people of every race in rural areas as well also oh absolutely absolutely I, I'm not trying to definitely say that there aren't poor white I was, people or poor I was just making sure people. there was no confusion about what I was saying. <laughs> Oh, okay, cool. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. Well, you know, what's funny is I can live in the most, uh, in a place that has the most restaurants, you know, in the world and still be in a food desert because I can only afford to go to, uh, you know, save a lot and get canned food and high processed, mm-hmm. uh, nitrate filled lunch meat and, you know, things like this that just aren't healthy for me, that will lower my life expectancy, you know, and that, so there's so many systems that are involved within how this one system is functioning or how one individual inside a system is prospering or not prospering within their own self. And um, this, again, goes back to social Darwinism and how some people are thinking of it like, oh, well, it's just your fault. It's all, it's all of your decisions and all of your failings are your individual fault because you didn't do what I could do very easily. Now, I'm a, I'm a business owner, okay? Yeah, sure. And the majority of my ability to own a business comes from a high-privileged situation. I, had, I, ha- I have a wealthy uh, stepfather who's helped me several times in my life and helped me basically avoid homelessness, avoid, uh, being without a vehicle and avoid, you know, um, starving to death, avoid, you know, having, uh, avoid having to not go to the doctors for certain really important things that I needed to get taken care of and then have the ability to have a safe space after that to heal and not have to immediately go back to a grind so that I had to, um, re-injure myself. You know what I mean? Which most people do. They have to immediately go back to work and then they re-injure themselves and then they lose the job because the job says they're unreliable because they keep getting injured. You know what I mean? Even though the, a lot of the times the facilities or the situations, again, are being cut in corners so that the employee has to do way too much work, way too many jobs, way too many hours, and then they cut corners with their own body. And that means that they don't lift something correctly. They don't move correctly because they're trying to get things done on, you know, you can't go to the bathroom in Amazon. You got to pee in a cup or pee in a bottle or something. You know what I mean? Like all those things are because the capitalists cut corners and the employee has no voice in the company, has no control over their situation. And in a lot of communities, you got three options. You got Walmart, you got Amazon, you got the gas station, you know what I mean? Or a McDonald's. 
and none of those places allow you upward mobility or a say in your in your uh, your labor. And so those strict hierarchies are unjust, which gets me to anarchism. And most people think anarchism means no rules and no society, just chaos. And that's a propaganda from the Red Scare and from, you know, a lot of right wing. Would you say the Rockefellers? Oh, God. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, anarchism, you know, um, a, term, a term coined again in like, basically in the 1800s. It, it's, you know, like the, fa- the father of anarchism can be kind of a couple people, you know what I mean? But I, I'm going to kind of focus in on Kropotkin because I think he's really the guy who like really did the most stuff with it, you know what I mean? And really made it what it what it is, you know what I mean? Or what it should be. Okay. And yeah. which is a critique of unjust hierarchies. And uh, there can be just hierarchies. It, it, that's the situation. It's just that there's no rulers. That's what anarchy means. Not no rules, no rulers. So any any hierarchy that's found in that society will be a just one that's democratically put in place and not um, coerced by higher classes or uh, more um, power in like wealth or you know. Uh, networking kind of nepotism you know there's no there's nothing like that going on there's a very flat hierarchy as much as possible and wherever there is a hierarchy it's justified because you know if you're working in a in a plant and there's a a thousand people working there um you have to have a couple people that are that are delegating tasks but those people will not have will not be uh, immune to a democratic ousting if they're not doing their job correctly so imagine if you could if you had i'm sure you worked for places that had terrible managers that were pompous and arrogant and did terrible decisions that hurt the employees and they thought they were amazing and there was nothing you could do you could i mean you you could write a letter to corporate you could call corporate it doesn't matter because they're the ones that have the ear they're the ones that have that power and then they can then target you and oust you you know i mean now some situations you can vie for more power or not necessarily more power but uh you know like hey you know like this this guy's predatory they're hurting us and then they'll oust them you know what i mean and the cancel and culture i think it's, i call it consequence culture more but consequence culture has made that more acceptable in some ways but sometimes it's the, it's almost like the corporate structuring itself is um detrimental or are unfocused or problematic for the employees um as well um, like I used to work in sales and like if I could if I could say one thing about sales that I think is the worst thing about sales, it is the culture uh, that is perpetuated to justify the way that sales operates. Uh, it's just a very uh, it is very socially Darwinistic. Um, it's it 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 it. Um, like literally, I would have this one manager and he wasn't a bad guy. He was a little odd. Uh, he once got weird with me because well we once had a weird exchange because he thought i drew i drew my nines weird uh which was which was really weird uh experience i was like really you think my but um but like he would unironically uh quote the he would unironically quote the scene from uh what is it glenn gary glenn ross or whatever um, it, I might be thinking of the wrong movie, uh, but um, it's 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 Alec Baldwin, and he he comes out and he get he does a speech about how uh, coffee 
coffee is for closers. How like, all, like if you're not selling, you shouldn't be drinking coffee. And like, the thing is, is in sales, they come to you and they tell you this and it's, what they don't understand is that David Mamet was being ironic. Like the whole speech is supposed to be about how like, is, is, is about how like kind of ruthless and bloodthirsty that situation is. And like, but people in sales look at it as like, oh yeah, yeah, this makes sense. This is the way it is. It's, it's like, it was the one, it was one of the continuous things where I was like, oh, and like, they just, they get you this idea that like by selling the person, uh, the insurance, you're doing them a favor. Um, even if you know there are insurances with better rates at, because the argument they tell you is, well, they're not talking to those people. They're talking to you. And you know what? If they get off this line, they may procrastinate and never get insurance at all. So if you don't, if you don't get them on that, you can't know for sure that this person didn't get insurance. You got to save them this way. And it's like, it's just like the mental gymnastics of that sort of like, you're doing the right thing by doing something that is the right thing for you. It's gaslighting, honestly. And I've been a salesman before. I worked for MCI back in the day when MCI was even a thing. And uh, I would, I was a terrible, you know, uh, what's it called? A uh, telemarketer. I'd call you and try to sell you on long distance, uh, you know, uh, home phone stuff, you know. And the tactics they used to not only pressure me to, like, like get sales, but also to, like, indoctrinate me into why this was better, even though it wasn't, like you said, you know what I mean? A lot of times it was not a better deal. It was not a lower price for them, but they, they said, it doesn't matter. They're buying you. And that's always, that was always the thing. It's like, they, they're buying your charisma. So then, so what's interesting about that is that like, you, that that's why companies cloak themselves in this pageantry and the, and a lot of this wokeness, a lot of times, you know, like, you know, like Goldman Sachs will put a, uh, a pride flag up on pride day, like on Twitter, Twitter. It's like, come on, like, come on. Like, yeah, no. you know what I mean? It, it's it's ridiculous, and and so then people are like, oh, Goldman Sachs cares about LGBTQ people. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my money there. You know what I mean? And it's like, wow, that is that is the worst kind of thing. And that's what we a society we live in is it basically a very shallow society where we are all walking around, um, uh, basically putting on masks, pretending they're not masks, forgetting their masks, and then being self righteous uh, about all these, all these things, you know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, yeah. so intersectional anarcho-communist. So communist is when you, uh, own the means of production, you have a democratic voice in your labor. You have a society that does not revolve around class that, that, that has no classes that has no, um, uh, basically, um, no currency either. Uh, no, no, uh, there can that's be exchange. communism. That's like the farthest yes. reaching version. That's, that's, yeah, I mean, absolutely. That, I mean, like, absolutely. You know what I mean? Socialism would still have currency because it's still basically partial so, capitalism. Yeah. You know? So there's still market. Right, exactly. So the, so communism would be, you know, no predatory markets in our society at all. You know what I mean? There would be no system in which an individual can um, create a scarcity and then control a, a something that is required for life and then uh, hoard that and then 
in, in stock up prices on it so that you know that, like and then lower like that, that whole like stocking up of uh i'm sorry like raising um the cost of living and then continuing to stagnate uh wages and then blaming wages on inflation when it has nothing to do with it you know um and inflation is not a, a, a you know a force of nature it's a tactical decision to make more profit for the few individuals at the top of the unjust hierarchy at the expense of the individuals at the lower end of the hierarchy. You know, a, a great example uh, it, from his own words was Jeff Bezos right after he went to space or right before he went to space. I can't remember which one when he was basically like, all the customers and the employees paid for this. You know what I mean? And he said that. And it's like that mean, he cut all of their wages as much as possible cut and made them grind as much as possible to grab as much money from these people as possible and they have no say in it at all and they all are hurting they're on food stamps a lot of times they're you know what i mean they're overworked they're you know they don't have the time for themselves like we discussed earlier you know the, so all, all of those systems you know and taking into account all those things and then uh, you know all of the systems in play you know, is part of intersectionality again, you know what I mean, taking into account all of the systems. And a big issue with, I think, the susceptibility of our society to illogical and non-rational thoughts is that we don't know how to think. We don't know the methodologies to make sure that, you know, we're thinking as best as we can. You know, we can never be objective, you know what I mean? And thinking you, your objective is like, basically the most liberal thing you can ever do it's basically <laughs> like you know like like i i am i'm right I, I i've reached the end of the political you know like growth that's possible and uh i i'm right you know and i, I just don't agree with that at all i think there's always things to learn and that we should con continually be be growing and you know in 10 years um you know i hope to be you know more clear the possibility of an objective truth, uh, an objective truth is, is, um, does not change the fact that we largely live in a society where human beings run on perspective. And um, actually, that's not even, a, that's more of a nature thing, human beings run on perspective. And perspective is the human cage. You, you are always, you are always in a battle, both for and with your perspective. You're never... To, to believe that you are objectively right 100% is, is probably an absurdity uh, yeah. when you consider the fact that your mind wouldn't tell you if you were. <laughs> yeah. Somebody said to me recently, um, there's no way I can't think scientifically. And I thought that was the most unscientific statement I have almost ever heard. You know what I mean? The brain uh, runs on rationalization, sure. not science, sir. You need <laughs> yeah. Confirmation bias is its bread and butter, you know? Uh, and and Dunning Kruger, you know, continually thinking that oh, when I get a small amount of information, that I am mm -hmm. a master at this situation. Um, if you're in a, side note, if you're in an argument with someone online and they just drop the Dunning Kruger meme into the into the conversation, I think that is like the most unself aware move. It's like, yeah, we are all experiencing uh, cognitive dissonance. If we weren't all experiencing cognitive dissonance, we wouldn't be arguing. <laughs> <laughs> of course we're all experiencing cognitive dissonance that doesn't change that one of us is probably right and one of us is probably wrong that's not an argument right well again like they don't know how to present or form arguments they feel things 
and that feels true to them because they have some anecdotal evidence that would support it. And then they act as if it's true. And, and then they attach it to their identity. And then it becomes part of their personality. And, and they, you know, uh, basically um, solidify that into their being. And then they never question it again. It, it, it just becomes a, a given, you know, and the, I think the more blind spots you have like that, the, wor the worse off the world is and you, you know, so Absolutely. I think we have to be continually open to scrubbing uh, all the things we think we know all the time, you know, yeah. and making sure that it's, it's right. And that's what peer review in science is. So I'm going to present, I'm going to like, here's all, here's the systems. And then like you present it and then like other scientists review it and say, Oh, you, you found an error here. I found an error here. You know what I mean? But I like all these other things. So I'm going to do it again. I'm gonna do the experiment again. And I'm going to not do that one thing. And then they publish their things. And then it keeps going and keeps going. And then it refines it to where we are like, this is going to fall at 9.8 meters per second squared if I drop it at this altitude in this air pressure. You know what I mean? Like we can be very precise with that to where we can 3D print a plane and it will work yeah. every single time. You know what I mean? That's precision that comes from that repetition. And, and not having the repetition will not produce the precision. And most people's anecdotal just opinions and, and, and processes don't produce precision. They produce Society is also real bad at even understanding the value or meaning of percentages when it comes to probability is the other thing, too. It's like um, a favorite thing I just found out is apparently like only 0.5% of people who got polio um, developed neurological symptoms or died. So and like most people were asymptomatic of polio. And then the next largest category was just like intestinal discomfort. Like, so if, but, but the thing is we beat polio. Right, right. Because more saw, people were, oh. yeah, no, it's just like, like, yeah, point, point 0.5% of society or like 0.01% of society is not a lot, is not a, large percentage of the people but the two problems with that is that a there's a, a lot of fucking people so that's actually a much larger number than you think it is and also there is no way to predict where you're going to be in the percentile like if you get struck by lightning that doesn't make you not struck by lightning just because it was extremely unlikely you would be struck by lightning you right. still got struck by lightning. You're still that guy. <laughs> I remember it was it was crazy when I read that like there is like um, I think it's only 300 uh, shark bites a year in the entire world, mm -hmm. but like but humans bite people in New York City uh, like like 2,000 times a year, and it's like you're more likely to be bit by a human in New York City than you are a shark. You know more what I mean? Like killed by a but, cow but, than a shark. What would you say? More likely to be killed by a cow than a shark. Right, exactly. Uh, a dog, uh, car accidents, uh, so many things. But you get into the water and you're like Jaws, you know. A bison is more likely to kill you than a grizzly bear, um, based on the statistics from, <laughs> from like a national park, because people aren't because people don't approach grizzly bears. Though I think is the reason why that is. But people will get, in a, will get in a bison's business. Um, so. So I do want to I do want to ask though um, unless there's still some more terms you'd like to uh, to clarify uh, we should talk about your business what what is your business oh thank you um, yeah it's uh, 
laser cutting company and engraving company right now, uh, but I'm going to be expanding into a machine shop as well. Awesome. I'm going to be getting a couple other uh, machines and and a couple other co-workers. I don't want to call them employees because uh, they're not employees. They're uh, co-owners, uh, laborers, if you will. Um, so you will be operating with uh, so, um, some sort of co-op model? Definitely. Um, I already have a co-owner with me. Um, he came on in January and he's been training. Um, and uh, we have uh, a very good arrangement where, you know, he has voice for when he needs to work. He has two kids, you know what I mean? And he, uh, you know, very little kids, you know, under four. Oh, yeah. Um, so he got, uh, yeah, and, and he's got a lot of responsibility, but he was working his butt off as a uh, as a car salesman and, and having to grind for that sale, having to grind and then not getting it, but still, but still having, you know, a decent salary. But um, being having to be gone 60, 70 hours a week, you know what I mean? And, and wanting more time for his uh, life, you know what I mean? Like we yeah. talked about earlier, he has a band, he, he's, he's building, he's got, you know, his kids, of course, and he's got, you know, like, he likes to play, uh, you know, like competitive magic in tournaments and stuff like that, oh. you know what I mean? So he, he needs time for all those things, you know? So yeah. one thing when we were negotiating for him to come on, you know, was uh, basically maximizing the days he works um and and i mean sorry the days he has off you know what i mean so uh but still being able to get the, the, the amount of hours in to produce what i what i need in in the shop okay. so um so you know like we're gonna do a, a specific model of uh three days on four days off for both of us because i was working basically 70 seven hours <laughs> seven days a week uh uh like 80 hours a week uh, by myself you know what i mean and now i can work three days a week, four days a week, and then make still do 40 hours, you know, and then we have all this time off for our children and the shop can still be running seven days a week, but you know, uh, nobody has to grind too hard for it. And that is, uh, you know, the goal is to, is to maximize labor, uh, and, um, efficiency, but also maximize, uh, home life efficiency and, uh, the rest of our, our lives, which is, what intersectionality is about also, you know what I mean? Making sure that the, all of the systems are functioning well and that we're looking at all of them as a system. Um, so IAC laser engraving is my company name. IAC stands for intersectional anarcho-communist laser <laughs> engraving. But you know, what's funny is I, I, I live around a lot of uh, very conservative people and um, they've never asked me, or I've only had two people ask me what IAC stands for. And because of the stigma with a lot of the words, at least two of the words, uh, most people don't even know, have never even heard intersectionality. But um, uh, I, I say, oh, well, that's a long story, but it's about how we structure our business that's different from other businesses. So instead, I start describing the business and like the model and like how like very large uh, companies do this, you know, like Ocean Spray, for instance. Uh, I don't like their juice. I think it's very sugary and and, you know, whatever. But they're great at what they do with their business models. They're co-owners. There's a cooperative, you know, oh. and all the laborers have a democratic voice. They have, you know, um, I didn't uh, know about ocean spray. That's cool. They are a huge company too. And they're very at the forefront of kind of American staples. When you go to the grocery store, there's always going to be an ocean spray, you know, cranberry juice there. You know what I mean? It's just like kind of there. You hear and, that listeners? Uh, if you support socialism, or communism or co-ownership go out and buy ocean spray and you know water it down some uh, 
That's great. Uh, in Spain, um, Mondragon is, uh, or Mondragon, uh, depending on how, I like to say dragon, so I'm going to say Mondragon. <laughs> um, no, but uh, uh, they are huge uh, cooperative, and they account for something like two-thirds of Spain's GDP. And they, they are the largest cooperative in the world, and they have been, uh, in, in a large uh, way, responsible for the pushing Spain to become almost 100% green technology with how they power their, their country. Uh, they use, in a lot of areas, um, these really cool mirror displays where they have all these mirrors surrounding this tower, and then they all have it pointed at the one spot at the tower, and it boils water, and then that creates steam. And it creates electricity through the steam power. It's just, it's just literally a, like a magnifying glass, but like a thousand mirrors all pointing at one place. Like it's so hot. It's and, fucking uh, steampunk, yo. I know, right? It's awesome. And uh, they also ousted their um, uh, very Catholic-driven uh, <laughs> president and created, and, and they have like an atheist, like environmentalist leading their country, which is pretty, pretty cool, honestly. To go from uh, you know, like worshiping the Pope to, you know, like building solar towers is pretty amazing transition, you know? So, uh, I, I mean, I'm not, you know, there's other things in Spain that aren't the greatest also. So I'm not just like trying to like boost Spain up only, you know, but, but these I areas wonder, that are, are doing really good, you know? I wonder if, the, uh, wait, where's the new, is the new Pope from Spain? Is he, I'm He's wondering from, brazil i think okay I think never mind south american never mind never mind i was i for a moment i had a moment i was like hey, could this be related to why he's more pro why the pope they have a more progressive pope now but no no wrong part of the world okay <laughs> he's progressive in some ways and not progressive in others well, of course that we're like, yeah i know and he can only go so far he's literally I know, right? exactly. And that's what's also important about identity is that there's no one person that is a monolith of uh, political ideology. There are some areas that I'm more conservative in, in some regards, but th that still wouldn't lead me towards capitalism. It's just the, 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 the approaches I take to certain aspects are still a conservative nature. You know what I mean? A small C rather than a large C, you know? Yeah, and I, th I think that's important to differentiate. And that like, you know, when you look at something and say like, I don't want to use someone too controversial, you know, but like a political figure, you know what I mean? Like, like say like Bernie Sanders, even. let's say Bernie okay. Sanders. Okay. Right. Bernie is, is left ish on a lot of things, but he's also That's kind of America. like liberal. Yeah. He's also very kind of like, exactly like patriotic liberal in some regards, mm -hmm. uh, other ways. And, and so like, uh, to just say he's just a democratic socialist mm -hmm. is, is like, I don't think it's accurate. You know what I mean? And to just say I, I'm just an intersectional anarcho-communist isn't exactly accurate. I think it's most accurate more than any other thing because it's a couple things coupled together to kind of like give you a broader spectrum and not just like I'm only a communist because yeah. communist is a huge spectrum. I mean, you could be a, a Maoist apologist, a Leninist apologist, a Stalinist apologist. You know what I mean? You can be a China, China oh, apologist no. for what they're doing right now. Exactly. I don't agree with those people. You know what I mean? Oh, but again some people would call just saying that, hey, Cuba did some good things with their education system, an apologist for the rest of Cuba. And that's why I want to like kind of like qualify those statements by saying, you know, that like some policy is good, not, at, you know, not, I'm not um, praising they, the other policies. They also had, um, agri they also had to invent agricultural systems in Cuba that helped them deal with uh, their oil shortages. Right. 
and, and um, other symptoms. Yeah, which, um, which, like, so yeah, n not everything these people do are they're they are bad at. Uh, so I do want to ask you about uh, as as an as a communist business owner, uh, there's been a lot of controversy about um, various um, semi-celebrity socialists and communists uh, actually profiting at their jobs. Uh, as a as a as a communist, do you think it's important to take a vow of uh, you know poverty when you <laughs> start your business? That's hilarious. Yeah, that's that's part of that over two window being shifted. Yeah, I remember you know Hassan Nabi was getting a uh, a lot of uh, flack for just owning a house and owning a wealthy house. But the the thing is, he, his whole family lives with him. Mm -hmm. like literally his mom and stuff, you know, yeah. and that he was independently wealthy beforehand. You know, his family had wealth, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, how they got their wealth is an interesting question. I have no idea. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't really care at this moment. You know what I mean? But yeah. the thing is that it was your question is, you know, uh, that's not what communism is. It doesn't mean that everyone's poor, the same poor. That's, that was the, what Stalin kind of created. And there was still classism and uh, division and a dictatorship. So like, Communism is a very specific thing. I can call myself all kinds of things. It doesn't make it true. A rose by any other color or any other name, I'm sorry, is still a rose, right? So like, unless it had a classless, moneyless, stateless society that the, the workers owned their own means of production and society was driven through democratic means, true democratic means, uh, and not through class agenda, then it's not communism. It's just that simple. And I'm not just unequivocal. Oh, they didn't do it. It's not, oh, you know, like that's not really communist. Like there's a lot of that, you know, like, oh, you know, whatever. But it's, it's, it's literally like, I can call myself a flower all day. Mm -hmm. I'm not a flower. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, uh, you know what I mean? So that's, that's important. You know, uh, I can call my business, uh, you know, all kinds of things. It doesn't make it. It, it, it matters the implementation of the approaches and the, and the organization and the function therein. So like profit itself is a function of capitalism. So I live in a capitalist society. I have to engage in a capitalist society because mm -hmm. I will go uh, poor and starve to death. And that's not going to serve anyone. It's not going to make my points better. It's not going to illustrate what communism is for me to do pageantry poverty. You know what I mean? Which is basically what they're asking of me. They're uh, not of me, but of, of people yeah. like me, you know? Yeah. Um, so like, I think that's important to, to, to kind of like nail down there. You know what I mean? Is that communists don't, uh, don't mind work. And in fact, that's what the whole thing is, is trying to secure my work so that a, co a capitalist isn't siphoning off the bulk majority of my labor. I cannot scale up more than I can by myself right now. I worked for four months by myself, 80 hours a week, and it was no movement up uh, beyond I, I reached a cap. And I was do I'm doing very well with that, right? And, and I was doing well, but I could not expand. I could not produce more per hour, more per day. I could not do that by myself. So that means that another person's labor is required and essential for my business to grow. So to deny the relationship and say, I did this all by myself, don't worry about these employees that I've been siphoning off all their profit and labor from, you know what I mean? Don't worry about them, don't look at them. 
to look at the you know the the the, uh, the poor people in other countries that I'm I'm siphoning off even more profit and even more labor from for even worse conditions. You know, don't worry about don't look at those people. I did this by my own self. I built this up myself, and that's that's just ignoring the supply chains that you got your things from, the, where the materials came from, all the people in the labor chain in every way were responsible almost as much as you who created the business because without those things, it wouldn't have, I have this laser here. I don't know how to make a laser. I didn't make it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, I couldn't do that myself. You know what I mean? So like, I mean, maybe it was some YouTube and some learning. I could maybe build something, but I have no idea how to make glass into a vacuum tube and where am I going to get, you know, CO2 oh, yeah. to put it in there's so many layers to the supply chain for how my business functions, you know, from even to the people who made my desk and my computer and my monitor. I mean, like everything is a, a system of systems of systems. So that's what's really important to understand about then your laborers and the people who work with you, because without them, growth isn't possible. So that's why they need a say in, in it. They need uh, more control over it and more, uh, you know, honestly profit from it. And it won't hurt the business's growth or me really to pay them what they deserve, you know, and, and to make sure that they have what they need. You know, it doesn't hurt anything uh, to give power to the worker. Absolutely. So this is a little bit, this is, this, is, this is related, but maybe a little off topic here, but I think it's a thing that's happening right now. And as I'm watching the responses to on social media, I find it a little bit hilarious. Uh, is that right now, right now I see all these conservatives posting about the, uh, the trucker freedom thing. And like, it's hilarious to me because like, I, 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 I'm certain they are not self-aware enough that it's to understand in the okay hold on hold on one second i have to take this sorry about that i uh maybe slightly on topic but i'm in the process of applying for medicaid oh, okay uh, good luck so i'm just yeah no uh i i should be poor enough uh no <laughs> um but you so know, yeah so this this is I'm sorry, just one sec. Going on that topic just for a second, just kind of going off that. My mom, you know, I, I, I is very ill. She has been for a really long time. And, you know, um, she, they give her social security dis and disability, stuff like that, you know? And, but if she makes any money, they'll take some of it away. Mm -hmm. And so like my, my stepfather is passing away. And when he passes away, she'll have an opportunity to, increase her monthly uh income by like double but she'll lose all of her medical benefits if she does that so like her and like they don't even take into account how much her rent is how much food is how much her utilities are so like they see oh you make you know 1400 a month you're fine you're doing great you know what i mean and it's like uh i don't make 1400 a month you know what i mean at the end of it she's lucky to have like two or 300 left if that at all most of the time only because i help her you know uh, we buy food collectively sometimes and i help her like that you know what's annoying is that um it's almost like it's intrusively the other way for like snap where like suddenly 
Like if you if you apply if you apply for if you apply for food benefits, it's suddenly like they're like, okay, all right, so we're gonna need to know how much your car is worth. We're gonna need to see your utility bill. We're gonna need to see everything you got. It's like what? Exactly. It's so funny. It, it, it's 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 just hypocritical. You know what I mean? You know, and like the, the the criticisms that we can have of these institutions are real, but the problem is that the criticisms are always put and pointed at the wrong direction and not at the actual system in which oh, they're yeah. being de developed from or, or are born from or in are part of, you know what I mean? That's the, that's part of that systemic viewpoint of a society, you know what I mean? And, and looking at it through that lens and not just uh, kind of everything in its own vacuum chamber. You know what I mean? Cause I remember oh, yeah, no, that, arguing with somebody. Oh, go ahead. That's the, that's the conservative model of argument is to place an argument in a vacuum chamber is exactly. to like, this one piece of thing is all we're analyzing. And it's like, yeah, but there's so many pieces to that thing. Why would you only analyze one? Like, uh, yeah, no, it's just like, like, it's like, it's like the, it's like the terrible, like, um, Ben Shapiro gives this incredibly stupid, uh, analogy where it's like a, a conservative is someone that finds a wall in the middle of, in the middle of, a piece of land, and he, and he says, oh, that wall must be there for a reason. And a liberal is someone who, who comes and sees that wall and says, we should take this down. We shouldn't have walls. And it's like, but it's like that entire analogy is about creating a vacuum of information. <laughs> like, exactly. when you find the wall, the question shouldn't be, oh, should we keep it or destroy it? It should be like, why is the wall here? <laughs> What function does it serve? Does it serve a function still? Is it uh, is it impeding some other function? You know what I mean? Is is there like and that's again the systems analysis rather than a vacuum chamber? But they have to argue in vacuum chambers because if they didn't, that everything would. Th th this is what's interesting. It's it uh, reality has a liberal bias, quote unquote. Okay, and that means and that's what they say basically is that like science science has a liberal bias. It's like no 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 no. It's just that liberals are like uh, are, are often in line with science in, in some regards. And not not often, but it, more so than conservatives, right? Yeah. So uh, th that that's a lot of that framing, like you're talking about, right? Yeah. So yeah, like and like a lot of it's just reactionary contrarianism is 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 so much of what I witness these days. And I mean, like that. To be fair, that's on that's that's everywhere too. Like that's just people being emotional, and that and that can technically happen to anybody. But but I feel like there's it's it's much heavier in the propaganda and everything that I'm seeing coming from the right is it's just absurd. Which brings me back to the freedom trucker thing, which is I feel like conservatives are not self aware enough to understand what is happening here, uh, which is that this is like literally socialist as action like literally the the workers have seized the means of the labor the trucks they the means of their means of their the trucks and they're they're going on a huge protest run so that they can protest their working environment of right. not wanting to be vaccinated and regardless of whether or not i agree with what they're standing for it's still like this is hugely socialist. Every piece exactly. of it is socialist. Like, this is what socialism looks like. And they, it's, it's, but I feel like no one is going to see that and be like, I feel like the conservatives don't see it. Like, they're not going to like look at it and be like, 
Ah, oh, socialism works. Well, that's because they can't look at themselves or the, or like the systems honestly. Mostly because of again propaganda and like kind of like gaslighting that's been done to them. Uh, but I agree with you that you know that's the thing is it's like a hundred years ago, uh, the tradesmen of this country were the ones like fighting against capitalists in the streets, literally burning the cars, sh shooting policemen, throwing bombs so that they could get, I mean, I, I'm not saying that's what we should do. I'm again, I'm not advocating for violence right now. I'm just saying that the tradespeople were the ones at the forefront of the labor rights issues. Mm -hmm. They were, they were fighting the capitalists against their greed and the structure of the hierarchies in place. And the police, as always, will defend the property and capitalist owners against the employees. And that's what we've always seen is that the, like at Occupy Wall Street, everywhere, the, the, uh, the police will show up and defend private property because that's the capitalist class that, that will control uh, you know, how their funds are allocated in the public meetings a lot of times, you know what I mean, in the city councils and stuff. So they have to... They have to appeal to that class. Mm -hmm. I think it's weird that people in this country don't understand the difference between like a riot or a protest taking place in a commercial district and a riot or a protest taking place in a in a Capitol building. Like it's wild to me that people don't understand the distinction there. Like yeah. I've, I've heard some people call like the Black Lives Matter ones like coups. And it's like, no, it's not a coup. They even if they destroyed property, which statistically many of them didn't, but to be fair, lots there were ones that did. Um, 7%. Yeah, it's something like that. Um, like even even in those situations, we're talking about commercial property, and like commercial property is owned by huge corporations. Uh, generally speaking, don't get me wrong. There's small businesses there too that I'm sure suffered, and that's not and like I don't support that. I think that's lame. And to be fair, most of the people who start um, destruction at things like MLB protests tend to be people like uh, extremists or black blocks or even police or private agitators. Exactly, agent provocateurs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and like the thing is, is that like even even if they are left people who believe in the destruction of property, it doesn't. They're not the majority in that crowd. They're just a person trying to take advantage of a situation. Exactly. Um, and we don't really seem to understand that. Uh, you know, again, again, going back to we don't understand the statistics that seven percent is 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 not very large percent of all of the protests that happened in 2020 for black lives matter that it was 93 percent peaceful you know what i mean and then uh the, the other percentages isn't is definitely we've, we definitely had agent provocateurs and police in, involved oh, undercover yeah. police involved we, we 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 proved that you know what i mean it's like that's yeah. true how much of that seven percent is is regardless and also minorities in the group do not speak for the group's movements you know what i mean and that's important as well absolutely um, Absolutely. And, um, oh man, it was just, it was just on the tip of my brain. Uh, the other, oh, and speaking of statistics, like another thing no one factors in is that only 11 people died at, at protests in 2020. I don't know what the statistics were for last year, but in 2020 it was only 11 people died across all the protests that occurred. And nine of them died at, uh, MLB. I'm not MLB. <laughs> <laughs> not me no we need to protest major league baseball immediately uh no but probably uh probably um 
but they uh but it was if in the article i read it, it laid it out that essentially 11 people died two of them died at, at uh, either trump or conservative based rallies and nine of them died at uh black lives matter or um or or left-leaning uh protests and riots and the thing about that, the other thing about the statistic is, is that in all cases, the people who were killed, and this is the part that actually kind of alarms me. Um, first of all, the first important detail, all the people who were killed were protesters who were there for that specific protest. Meaning that if you were at a, if we're talking about the uh, Black Lives Matter protester, then the person who died was a Black Lives Matter protester. And if we're talking about the Trump rally, then the person who died was someone who was there to support the Trump rally. Um, and in all cases, the people who killed them uh, were private citizens who took it upon themselves to shoot these people or kill them in whatever manner that they did. Which is more a reflection of mental health issues and not having access to mental health, uh, you know, uh, places, you know. Um, than than the, than the movements themselves not not to, well and that and that's the thing though is that the, we're, we're talking more like people like boogaloo boys and like and like even technically kyle rittenhouse is in this statistic like technically two of those people were killed by kyle rittenhouse which gives him the high score he's the t he's he is oh my god that joke is dark okay anyways uh <laughs> but um so yeah, so like that's like we we have this very poor understanding of how to utilize statistics in our society because we either hold them up as absolute truths or we try to use them to um obscure concepts or people just don't straight up just don't understand them. Uh, now I um you you did mention um I don't did you have a time limit? We're good. We're good. Okay. Um, I just just wanted to make sure because we we in our in our before conversations you had mentioned something. I just want to make sure I I didn't uh, overstep by accident. Um, so I'm yeah, I can keep an eye on it, but we're good. Okay, cool. Uh, so yeah, that I just I don't know. I get I get worried about society. <laughs> um, like I had a I have a libertarian friend uh, from college, and one day like I'm. The thing that I'm scared about is that the right is scared, if that makes any sense. Like, they seem terrified of a thing that I don't think exists. And that, that concerns me, because scared people are dangerous people. But, like, yeah. one day, a libertarian friend of mine, like, t uh, texted me, and he was like, Hey, so I'm, uh, I'm going leftist. And I'm like, oh, cool. Uh, so, sure, what's that about? And so, he's, and so, like, he lays it out for me. He's like, well, it's like, I haven't really changed my beliefs. But like, I just would like to be known as a leftist uh, for when for for when leftists start like rounding people up, and I'm just like, what? I was wow. like, stop watching Tucker Carlson, bro. Like, stop. I like, I'm like, what are you talking? I'm like, I'm like, I don't think that you you think that's gonna happen. I don't think that's gonna happen. And like, I like, like I started to confront him about it, but then like at a certain point, I was just like. Okay, man, sure. Yeah, if anyone asks me about it, I'll say, yeah, he's, oh, yeah, no, him, he's a leftist. I was like, just let me know what kind of leftist you want me to tell people you are. And he said me he would have to think about it. And he never got back to me about that part. He's like, I don't know how, what's far left enough, you know? I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know, but, like, it, it bothers me that there's apparently some source out here in America who's trying to agitate that, I, that idea 
Oh, I'm there's not, tons of them. I mean, there's QAnon, there's Tucker Carlson, there's the, the far right. I mean, the, the whole Great Replacement. I don't know if you're familiar with the Great Replacement. I concept. understand it. Yeah, the concept. Yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible and not true in the slightest. And it would imply that literally uh, every every person of color who's with a uh, or every biracial uh, relationship is intentional for this purpose as a nefarious effort to to ch- turn all uh, white people eventually into people of color. It's it's an insane it's an insane idea, and they I mean the the radicalization on YouTube and and online is is very real. And the algorithms for the last basically fifteen years, because of the way that they were geared, uh, led people into these places, led people to these people that were talking absolute nonsense about race science and about the history of the world and who's really in control and and you know like uh the agendas of liberal hollywood and the 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 you know the the, the Here, universities here's, here's liberal know, hollywood I, Ken, money Ken state, Ken state was like one of the most like conservative uh situations i've been in in a lot of ways because um of how economically conservative the university is and how they targeted their 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 uh students and the how the lester lefton at the time was the president and he kept giving himself a three percent raise and and raising tuition by three percent and i was like dude this is like fucking this is a, a scam you know what i mean like it's ridiculously obvious and then like and then they they rack up you know, uh, you know, costs, and then for, and because it's on the government's dime most of the time, they say we can just charge them a fucking arm and a leg uh, for everything, for books, for everything, you know, for parking, for this, for this, for this. You know what I mean? And then, um, you know, it, it's it's a complete scam. And then we're pushed into it through school, through high school, through uh, through public uh, classism saying, oh, you don't want to be one of the poors, you know, you don't want to be a poor, you know what I mean? So you better go to college, you know what I mean? And they don't, they're not even offered trade schools. They're not even offered. I mean, sometimes they are more times they have been lately in some places that have funding, you know what I mean? But a lot of places that do not have funding, they don't have a shop class. They don't have extra books and laptops and all these, you know, materials, and nice gyms, you know, I, I am, bo- I, that reminds me, I'm, I actually reminds me of two things. One is I'm kind of bothered by the fact that the right wing is trying to like make themselves the group of like the trade schools. I don't, like that bothers me. Exactly. Like, like we need, like we need leftists in like trade schools. <laughs> Cause like that, those are the people who are going to be heavily affected by like these future capitalist versus socialist policies and choices and decisions. So, so like no. I find that alarming when Mike Rowe and people do that shit. Um, the, the, the thing I think is this: like every, there's this thing in, in in people's minds in America that they're just a temporarily displaced millionaire, and that just around the corner they're going to be famous, they're going to be a millionaire, they're going to not have to struggle anymore. That something magical will happen, in or, or like or or miraculous or whatever you want to say, or just like lucky, and like they will be in a better standing. But in the reality. It, it, you have a 95% chance of remaining at your current economic uh, level or becoming poorer, which means you have a 5% chance of only of potentially only getting to the next economic bracket. Or I mean, like oh, between the 5% in, in there, it's really more like, you know, like I think, I think it's like 4.8% 
oh, four point uh, wait, it's point zero 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 six percent chance you're going to be a billionaire because that's the amount of billionaires in the country. There's six hundred eighty billionaires in the country, three hundred fifty million people. It's like point zero zero six or something like this uh, uh, percent of the population. So that means you have a point zero zero six percent chance in a sea of other variables also. That's not just that one statistic of, of becoming that rich. You know what I mean? But everybody is uh, gaslit into thinking that it's possible, that it's the American dream. And then they're force-fed, you know, these billionaire tech gurus who uh, perpetuate that and then still treat their employees like crap, mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. So the other thing it reminded me of is I had lunch with Lester Lefton one time. So I was I was the president of my imp, uh, of my improv troupe, and one day my vice president um, they they figured they figured out we could get invited to have lunch with the uh, with the president of the university, and we thought, well, hey, maybe we could use that for our club in somehow, and so we went, and it was terrible. Like <laughs> like my major impression of Lester Lefton is that he fucking sucks. Like. This guy, like, we sit down with this guy, and basically the whole deal is we get these, like, prepackaged meals, and we're, like, eating them, and, and the whole idea is we're supposed to be allowed to ask many questions we want, and, and whatnot, and, um, and, and like, it, there's a moment of not asking any questions, and he's like, all right, well, uh, come on, isn't somebody going to ask me about, uh, I bet someone's going to ask me about the fountain, and I was like, okay, I'll ask you, why are we getting rid of the fountain? And, like, he, he just goes in this, like, oh, yeah, it's, and you know what? In four years, no one will even remember it was here. And it's like, it's a terrible reason to replace what was arguably a much more artistic fountain than the ugly bullshit they have there now. Uh, yeah. And, but the, the, the other thing was, like, we started talking, someone asked about snow days. And, like, he basically just started complaining. Like, he was just like, our kids need to you put on a jacket. <laughs> he, just, he just went off about that. And it was like, what? And then someone asked him about, um, like, the fact that they were getting rid of housing on campus. And he was like, eh, most people drop out of housing before they even finish the semester. And, and you know, we, and, like, people don't really want to live in dorms. They want to live in, they want to live in their own apartments. And it's like, oh, so you're, what you're saying is just you're making an argument for privatizing your housing. Uh, that's all that. <laughs> And I wonder, I wonder where some of his investments lie, his personal investments. Lie. I have no idea personally, but I would wonder. One would, that one out would, out one would wonder. Him. I would like Absolutely. to wonder that out loud to him and see his face. But no, go, I want to go back really quickly because the I, I, I feel like I uh, can will be misrepresenting the argument if I don't address it a little bit. Okay, what cool. Is the liberal the liberal agenda in in schools, right? So right. I did say that Kent State was very conservative in how they treated me financially, right? Now there was a lot of um, liberal minded and le and like uh, not leftists, not leftist, but liberal minded, which means they are not Marxists, all right? In any regard, you know what I mean? I don't believe I had one Marxist teacher. I had people that, you know. Will would vote for Barack Obama, you know what I mean, but not uh, have read Karl Marx, you know what I mean. So to fra frame them in that way is is disingenuous. Um, and they never pushed economic policies on me. They never pushed economic or uh, even like uh, you know um, social 
narratives to me. You know what I mean? In my socialist class, or I'm not socialist, I'm sorry. In my sociology class, which is hilarious, um, uh, that was my most left-leaning professor. He's actually still a friend of mine. Uh, and uh, some of the conversations and the, you know, uh, discussions that we had and the statistics, you know, have stayed with me, you know, uh, and helped shape me as a leftist. So to, to say that there wasn't information I received to, that helped me form a leftist perspective would be disingenuous. But to say that it was a concerted effort, that there were even like puppet masters behind of which one is going to be teaching this. In fact, that professor was hated for his views and for having, uh, you know, an Occupy Wall Street or a, a Bernie button, you know, things like that on him. You know what I mean? He was they, they, they admo uh, you know, admonished it. You know what I mean? So like uh, that's that's important to know that the higher ups actually did not want that. And that the reality that the professor himself experienced was was anti leftist, not this uh prevailing agenda for this and again this goes back to the the concept that like reality has a leftist perspective because leftism is a scientific perspective of analysis of systems that is literally the beginning of all of it is like saying why is this like this why are my material conditions like this you know what i mean what are the systems in place that have led to my material conditions to be like this what possible systems could change my material uh, those those critiques are that, that's literally what Das Kapital is. It's literally what the, what communism and socialism is an effort to remedy, you know? And uh, what having, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say Das Kapital is probably, the, if, I, if someone was gonna ask me about socialism and, and communism, that would probably be the, the thing I would recommend to read to them. Yeah, um, And like, I'll be honest, I didn't read the whole thing. I only read the part that I was required to for the class I was in. Uh, but like what I took away from that class and and from that specific part of this uh, the book uh, really blew my mind. Um, the whole like the the reality of capitalism really just being like the infancy to socialism, and then socialism being like the adolescence, and then Marxism being the like the adulthood um, right. of of a, of an industrialized society. Um, to put it very simply, I mean, like that really, like that, that, that like really shaped, made me go, okay, this makes a lot more sense to me. Like, so I don't, yeah. so like we say a lot about left and right and, and whatnot. And, and I don't, and I think of capitalism now more as like being like, this is childhood. Like this well, is, I, I actually disagree. Children are selfish. <laughs> <laughs> they'll learn a lot but and have a lot of energy but at the end of the day someone needs to step in and be like okay that's funny um i, I think that i actually I, I i disagree with that um progression analogy and i think that carl was a little uh idealistic in that trajectory and i think that um that was assuming i think that this would become more pervasive as time went on and not uh, having complete uh, like systems of propaganda against it. And then he probably wasn't perceiving that in, you know, like, uh, what is it? Uh, 30 years after he died, uh, almost 40 years after he died, that uh, Russia was going to use some of his writings to, uh, you know, create a revolution. And then that, and then Lenin would die of a stroke. And then all of a sudden Stalin would just assume power and, 
you know, out Trotsky and like change the entire dynamic and then still call it Marxism and communism. You know what I mean? It's like, like that's not, that wasn't in his trajectory. You know what I mean? No, 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 Cause you can't, you can't predict those things. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think that in hindsight, uh, and seeing how capitalism has produced more capitalism and neoliberalism, which wasn't a thing when Marx was, uh, you know, uh, writing his, his books or even alive, really. Neoliberalism is much more modern kind of uh, creation. You know, I mean, it stems from all the again, the systems that came before it. But um, I, I don't see the progression of capitalism, socialism, communism being inherent in the capitalistic bedrock you know what i mean that it's not just like that it's not just a baby that will always produce an adult communism like so like so like i i should be more more clear actually you're right in my analogy because what i would more say is that like it's more like the childhood part because as we see in real life we constantly meet people who cling to that childhood and yeah. the concepts and ideals of their childhood and the way the world worked when they were a kid. And like that's become more, I feel like it's become more culturally pervasive um, in our modern capitalist society. Because uh, capitalism itself um, considers it very profitable to infantilize us all and, and right. to keep it, because like if you want to buy shit that doesn't matter, uh, capitalism says that's great. Yeah. Actually, which was one thing that I think is hilarious about the whole pulling yourself up by your bootstraps thing that the conservatives always say. Uh, I think it's hilarious because, like, you know, if people actually, quote unquote, tightened their belts and stopped buying shit they didn't need, that would greatly affect the ability of the capitalist society to, inc- to continue its growth. Exactly. It doesn't it's, it's make sense. Nope. None of the arguments actually make sense, and, and, and that's the issue. And like, wh- why they don't actually run on real policy? They run on propaganda tropes that they can get away with, and then they run on voter suppression through tactics to re- reduce people's ability to vote for the left. You know what I mean? And and their traditionalism doesn't even merge with their capitalism. Like that's the thing that doesn't make sense. Like. Like they say things like, oh, we want these traditional family households and we're going to have a single a single person working in the household to provide for his family. and It'll be the man. And it's like, OK, OK, so how is this man going to provide for his household if he's making minimum wage? Like you expect a person making minimum wage to support an entire family? Like, no, that was a great impersonation of Jordan Peterson, by the way. I wasn't even trying, but what are we doing? It was great. Even with your arm movements, it was great. But yeah, no, like, Um, that's the thing. Like, it it doesn't make sense. Like, they, they, they're, the ideals don't even match. They don't collide. They don't come together. Like, I, I feel like socialism would benefit like a single worker household much more than <laughs> the capitalism would. I agree. I mean, no, I, I like George Carlin's uh, take on, on the American dream. You know what I mean? That you, It's called the American dream because you got to be asleep to believe it, you know? Oh, yeah. And I, I, I love that quote. And um, I hate also, though, the whole concept of asleep and woke or sheeple. Like, I hate that whole thing because, again, nobody's a monolith and and most of that is because of systemic uh, reduction of education as a priority and, you know, like propaganda machines and whitewashing of history. And, you know, like, look, there, you know, like, I was just 
looking back in time, you know, in my mind. And, you know, it's crazy to think that just 16 years before I was born, the moon landing happened. In my mind, it was so long ago. But as I've lived now 37 years, I've felt what 16 years feels like. And it's not that long. You know what I mean? And like, and then it, 21 years before I was born, uh, segregation was legal. Uh, you know, and uh, redlining was legal. It's still, I mean, redlining is still very much done to this day, but it was legal, you know, and uh, the amount of wealth and uh, home ownership security and uh, ability for childhood development and childhood security and good neighborhoods and not economic uh, scarcity and food deserts, all of that creates a generational gap and wealth and that's evident you know what i mean and uh i mean the fact that my mom could rent a a, a nice apartment in a nice neighborhood that literally had no black people in it uh, when i when i was uh in the 80s when i was born you know what i mean that the fact that like they ha she had that before with her two kids she was a single mother two kids and then a third kid you know what i mean and she was she was working her butt off the whole time all the time you know what i mean and uh but and, so like you know, just, just all those opportunities were denied to so many people. And you have to take that into account. And if you don't take it into account, you're not really doing the history or the, the system that you're looking at justice. Absolutely. Uh, man, it's, um, we should probably, we should probably clarify uh, the 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 purpose in pointing out the fact that she lived in a uh, in a all or mostly white area. Yeah, uh, well, because you know uh, she, the fact that she was able to get into a high tax bracket neighborhood that had good schools was because she was white, and and that allowed her to have that access. And so that generational help is what also I'm experiencing where I can be a homeowner at 37 and a business owner at 37, and where a lot of people who are my contemporaries do not have that, you know what I mean? Uh, and they work harder than me and have worked harder than me in some regards, you know what I mean? And, and have had a lot harder on, the, on themselves than me because they didn't have that generational wealth to be lean back on, you know? And, uh, you know, that's that that's really why I brought it up was just okay. showing the differences in it. No, I, I didn't it was, want to, it was an all white neighborhood. Definitely not. It was just that that was the reality because of the segregation that was just before I was born. But in my mind, I thought it was so far in the past. And yeah. like that, that, that realization that, that that is all stemming to my stability right now is really important to understand. And that's, again, intersectionality, yeah. you know. Cool. I just wanted to make sure no one who was listening didn't get it twisted. Thank you for that. Thank you. The ability to clarify, because sometimes, you know, uh, context is, is not yeah, no. uh, provided. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. That is that is that is very true. That is very true. Um, so, yeah. Um, actually, I got to hold on. I got I got to pee real fast. Dude, I got him as well. So thank okay. you. OK. OK. <laughs> All right. All right, and we're back. Okay. All right, where are we? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, society, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, we yeah, no, like, I do feel like a major problem is that we as a society don't put enough uh, effort into teaching people how to think or comprehend things. Yeah. Um, like, 
and and maybe and maybe that's just because I I have the sort of um that I uh, maybe maybe I'm biased on that because I've got sort of that introspective like um layered semi ADHD personality type where like I uh I'm just always analyzing anything that I'm consuming, and that's sort of just how I consume it. And but I wasn't always like that, to be fair. Like um, one of the reasons I'm obsessed with the movie The Matrix is because when I was a teenager and I watched that movie, it was the first time my brain was suddenly like, <gasps> suddenly like my brain was exposed to the concept of like symbolism and like allegory. Like, I mean, I'd always, I'd always sort of watch things that had those, but for some reason, when I watched The Matrix, it, like, turned that part of my brain on, where suddenly I was like, there's more than just the story, there's a layer below the story, <gasps> and so, like, so, like, that changed the way I started watching movies and, and reading books and things, and then I took theater history, and actually, my theater history teacher was probably um, the most leftist teacher I had. Um, like she never, uh, she never came in and like talked to us about politics or anything, but like she, she would have like political, uh, badges and stuff. And every once in a while she'd mention the sixties. Uh, and, but, um, but like, but like at one time I was sitting in her office and talking to her and like, she, she had this, she made this statement to, to me. It was like, it, it was probably the biggest insight into her politics that she ever gave me where she was like, I'm a materialist. I believe that. When people say they have a problem, you give them the material to solve that problem. And if they still have a problem, then you have to figure out why. <laughs> and I was exactly. like, wow. And, and so that's, that's cool. And like, I, w I always appreciate that class specifically because it taught me history. And like, it was, it was history through the lens of theater. But like, the most important thing about learning history is to learn how society is fluid, how all of civilization is this constant changing organic thing that is constantly influencing and being influenced by the people in it. It was also where I learned about modernism, uh, which was fun. Got to learn about the uh, the Dadaists and the uh, the near, uh, the uh, the futurists, which was which, which was interesting. I don't know if you're familiar with them as far as uh, art uh, as far as art movements go, um, but it was funny because essentially they were both reactions to the to to World War Two. I'm sorry, World War One, and like essentially the Dadaists were went like hardcore like anarcho-nihilistic on it and they were like we're gonna make anti-art and um and then the futurists were like uh and the futurists kind of went fascist <laughs> and actually got actually got involved with Mussolini uh and like hmm. all their their art was all about how like um their art was like anti-museum and anti-higher uh, education and they were and they would <laughs> they would um, some of them actually want, there was one guy who had the idea to write plays where they would replace actors with just like, like machinery parts and lights and smoke. And like, I don't think he realized it, but he was basically describing Disney World in the future. Uh, just all animatronic theater. That's hilarious. Um, but so, yeah, no. And, but one of the major philosophies they put forward, which is hugely fascist, but applied to art is just that 
action is more valuable than debate or conversation. So they would make these, like there's uh, the specific, they also, both of them only wrote short form. Like both Dottos and Futurist wrote short form pieces. And the Futurist, they wrote this one short form where it was essentially um, a bunch of people talking in nonsense uh, in a cafe, just drinking coffee. And then a guy in like a wrestling costume, like just runs in and screams and starts just flipping tables over and like knocking people's coffee to the ground. And the whole idea is meant to be like that his actions were more powerful than the words of anyone in this cafe. So like, it's interesting how propaganda perpetuates itself. It's so true. And it, and it multiplies off of itself. It's, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, something you said a moment ago just reminded me of something, and I'm trying to remember what it was. Uh, uh, if I remember, I remember. Mm-hmm. I understand. I just, uh, oh, King Arthur Flower, I think is, um, I think is employee owned too. Hmm. I'd heard that one was employee owned. Winco Foods, um, there, there's several cooperatives and uh, co-ownerships in the, in the country. Uh, a really, really good uh, um, source for information about this and a lot of other perspectives is uh, Dr. Richard Wolf. He's an economics professor, um, and he's worked at many universities and uh, is a, a prominent um, economic uh, analyst and he is an historian and he has uh, two YouTube channels um, uh, democracy at work and uh, Dr. Richard Wolf is his own channel and I highly recommend uh, people go listen to him and uh, you know uh, you know listen with open mind hear that everybody go listen to, go look up that guy doctor you said Richard Wolf Dr. Richard Wolf that's it. Get out there, start Googling. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. I, I just, uh, this has been, this has been real nice getting all this, getting all this nice communist stuff out there. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, and I, I want to just uh, kind of like wrap everything up with just sure, a, go a, ahead. Another, yeah. another summary, basically, you know, um, our society and our culture and our, I mean, our, our, uh, our species um, is a cooperative species and the ideologies that uh, allow cooperation uh, to thrive uh, and, and not um, co- um, coercion or competition are uh, always going to be more efficient, more safe, more welcoming, and more um, equitable for all people. Uh, Now, if we look at hunter-gatherer tribes, uh, there's a great book called Guns, uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel by an anthropologist who went and lived with several different uh, aborigines and hunter-gatherer tribes in many different countries. And one thing that is uh, really interesting is there's there's no uh, murder, there's no rape, there's no um, pedophilia. There's no, uh, you know, peeping toms. There's there's no, nothing like that. They don't have the social issues that we have. We, they don't have the identity issues in a lot of ways that we have. Now that doesn't mean I don't. I don't mean I want to be very clear again with clarity. 
they had multiple genders still back then. You know what I mean? Uh, within their within their within uh, their society. That's, so their not, identity... that's not the type of identities we're talking about here specifically. Exactly. Exactly. So I want to be very care- careful about that. Um, because that was has been present as for as long as we have recorded history that's been there. It's not a new phenomena. It's right. not a, a woke agenda. It is a function of our being is that we are on a spectrum of gender. Um, uh, you know, in our, in, in, like you said earlier in the podcast that uh, blue is for boys and pink is for girls. But a couple hundred years ago, it was the opposite because red was passion and red was masculine and blue was uh, oh, yeah. feminine and soft. So like these things change and have kept changing. So like that's what's important also about that kind of intersectional way of looking at history is seeing that progression. And then it's like not such a rigid uh, line in the sand for society to depend on or otherwise it'll collapse. Like that's not where society's collapses come from. It's not how people identify their, their gender um, uh, or their sexual preference, uh, you know, any of those things. The hurricanes are coming from the gays, don't you know? The hurricane. But it's so funny because it's always the conservative three states that are just close to the water that keep getting damaged that don't like gay people anyway so like why why are they that da- why is god attacking well shouldn't they be attacking new york city and uh whatever anyway sorry i don't want to get no no no, no i was i was exactly I the exact same thing. it's low-hanging like... fruit too easy to criticize but, <laughs> but uh no but I, 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 going back to the summary so uh you know so when we have um in, in those hunter-gatherer tribes they have a strong uh, understanding of their um, place in the tribe, and it's one of cooperation. It's one of not, that, that, that the leader doesn't hoard all the meat. You know, they all go hunting together, and they all give it to the tribe together. The, you know, the, the, the women and, and the children, and some of the men too, go forage for for uh, fruits and other things. You know what I mean? Or they uh, harvest them. You know what I mean? Depending on if they're agrarian or not. But anyway. Hunter gatherers usually weren't agrarian, you know, aren't traditionally agrarian. They're they're forage, foragers and hunters. But um, uh, that role was really important, and they both served that role. And understanding that without either one, you'd suffer, you'd die, because you need the other. You need that cooperation to work. And and so like when we uh, got away from that and started perpetuating the opposite of that, that it's the individual and only the individual. Uh, and, and again, the individual matters. I'm not saying you do not matter and that what you want and care for and think about your life doesn't matter. It's not what I'm indicating. Of course. You know, I'm just saying the rugged individualism of social Darwinism has infected our political climate and has moved our Overton window far to the right. And now all of our conversations are geared towards um, this, the, you know, personal freedoms when no personal freedoms have been changed there has always been or not has always been but it's, i mean george washington mandated his entire army where it was vaccinated you know what i mean i mean it's like it, it, it it's it, it's always been a part of being in society to give up certain things so that everybody else can thrive too and that's the you know the thing i'm not going to go into a store naked because some people don't want to see me naked and it's really i'm, I'm respecting their autonomy by by not doing that you know and uh th- those are just some basic points but of course my point is, is that uh these structures echo up and fractal out into all of the ways that we're seeing society all the ways our society is functioning all the things that we see as intelligent like you know like trump was like 
I cheated on my taxes. I found loopholes so I don't have to pay for the roads that you all require. That makes me smart. He's like, that makes me smart because I, I cheated the system. And, and like, so everybody's like applauding. And it's like, yeah, he's smart. He knew he found the way to cheat the government because the government is, is bad. But then the government's good when he's doing it. It's like, it's, it's, there's no, there's no uh, cognitive correlation there. There's no connectivity of uh, causality. There's no arc. Oh, it's yeah. just vacuum moments that are then, uh, that then uh, separated by criticisms of people they don't understand and valid criticisms of liberals. This was, I mean, like, honestly, like, in many ways, when Barack Obama became president, for me, that was, um, that was really important, not just because he was, you know, like the first black president and stuff, but like also because like it was a moment for me to like see this thing happen in society where he became president. And the first thing I noticed was is the Republicans were criticizing him for stuff that Bush had done and Democrats were applauding him for things that Bush had done. And, it, exactly. and, like, and like I saw that and I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here and then like like and this is this is a confession here but like i used i used to i used to be uh a pretty big conspiracy theorist and i used to go to uh the big one for me was prisonplanet.com i used to be on there all the time uh but like but like the, I, I, when barack obama became president i noticed like an immediate shift on the website where like before I would go there and like when Bush was president, they would just put, they would almost publish just anything uh, or report on anything that was negative Bush. Like, like they would, they would have left-wing cartoonists comics up on there. And like, there would be clips from the daily show or Stephen Colbert, like anything that was remotely anti-Bush, they would just throw it up on there. Uh, and then as soon as Barack Obama was president, I would go to the website and like it was different. Like it had changed. I would go there and suddenly like there were ads, there would be ads for like uh, survivalist rations and like uh, colloidal silver and just all these various other things suddenly were all over these websites and like... And like the fringe articles that I would used to find in like the back of the site where it's like, is Harry Potter satanic? Suddenly they were at the front of the site. And it's mm. like, oh, oh, okay. So, oh, it's just, it's marketing. It's all about marketing. You're, when, when Bush was president, you wanted to pick up as many anti-Bush liberals as you could. And now that President Barack Obama is president, you want to see how many conservatives you can pull in while still keeping whatever liberals you've pulled in on that same track okay right. well you know like I, I remember my entry into kind of uh some of that conspiracy theory uh world was you know zeitgeist and loose change about 9-11 yeah. all, all, all all those documentary series and then that's what introduced me to alex jones you know and then alex jones was originally talking about um, the Bilderberg Group and the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers and 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 all these things and so I was very into that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. I actually bur burned like thirty copies of Zeitgeist and was just giving it out to people. You know what I mean? Like I, that's what I was. That's 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 who I was. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Back then. So like uh, I I I feel that you know. And um, when 
as time progressed and I learned more and I learned more and I learned more and I learned more, I saw the that the critiques of capitalism are always pointed to as a cabal of mostly Jewish uh, people. And that is literally the same trope the Nazis use to gain power. You know what I mean? And that they're lizard people. That's a conspiracy that they're, you know, they're not, they're subhuman, they're uh, whatever it is, but it's all, it's never actually, they never pointed capitalism. They always point to certain people controlling capitalism and preventing the free market. So they were literally turning people into ANCAPs, anarcho-capitalists, which is a complete antithetical uh, oxymoronic statement because yeah. capitalism oh. is a hierarchy and anarchism is against unjust hierarchies. You know what I mean? So and, and capitalism is not a just hierarchy. So uh, so it pushed people into libertarianism. It pushed people into Alex Jones. It pushed people into the fringe. And then now, now they're telling people that Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, it, it, it drinks babies' bloods, you know, and and the, and then radicalizing people to where they literally take up arms and go and attack a building, a pizza shop. You know what I mean? Uh, they, they think there's kids in a basement. With the basement, there's no basement. It's a co solid concrete floor. There's no basement. You know what I mean? So, it, but what it's about the people it, who would say radicalization that can happen? What would you say? But what about the people who would say, well, of course, you can't just find the basement. It's a secret basement. Right. Well, the thing is that, like, you know, here's the thing. It's, it's right. like you can't go looking for evidence with a confirmation, with, with the understanding you know what it is already. Because then you're only going to find confirmation bias or you're going to delude yourself into thinking that yeah. just because you didn't find it is 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 a, an example that it's also true. So th that that whole like gymna mental gymnastics thing that people have to do to continue their positions because they've incorporated it into their identity. And now that means that they would have to do a self-reflection of like their own identity, they have like a, almost like a midlife crisis, whatever Point in their life they are at you know but like a midlife crisis level event to where they're 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 like you know uh so concerned with that aspect so like yeah that's like the it, thing. oh go ahead no i'm sorry i'm just as you're what you're describing i'm just imagining like this guy who uh like suddenly just wakes up one day and he's like oh my god the world is round and i alienated everyone i knew <laughs> Yeah. Like, no, that'd be hard. Like, once you start alienating people from your life, you, you, you people tend to double down. Right. And that's and that's actually really a part of the Charles Darwin, uh, social Darwinism also. And then why we're so punitive in our uh, uh, approach to um, crime rather than rehabilitative, you know, which is what uh, like more like Sweden and like more Nordic countries do, yeah. like Germany, where it's like that you don't just surround them with other people that are terrible people. And then, and then that's their entire social norm now is having to survive among people who are going to be trying to manipulate and use them in the worst possible ways and teach them more ways to be criminals and oh, share yeah. with them the stories. And then they have to be cool because of social norms. They have to be in that so social ecosystem. They have to really interact with them on a level of like, you know, like equal, you know what I mean? Otherwise, you know, you're looked down upon and there's a, a judgment situation, even in that situation, you know, so that whole dynamic is really dangerous. And that's why we have such a high recidivism, recidivism in our country because 
we don't target rehabilitation. If you look at Germany, they don't surround them with other prisoners. They actually put them in a, in a, they isolate them into another place, but then surround them with other people that are social workers and that are like uh, doing other things. And there's teachers and they're like learning all these things. You know, and they're interacting with people that are, ha that have their life together, quote unquote, you know what I'm saying? And like, are more in, in that traditional sense, are also like taking serious steps to their mental health. They're doing, you know, they're not isolated in a brick wall. You know what I mean? They're in a nice room and they have access to the outdoors and they have access to information and communication. And it's not so isolating and, and shocking, you know? Um, and the goal again is, is to pr produce somebody who's ready for society and will be a service to society a cooperative member of society, you know what I mean? And um, that is just, is just not found in our, in our society. And we want to permanently attach everyone's past crimes or indiscretions or errors or failures as their identity. But, you know, like, I have a son, he's almost two years old. And when he was trying to learn to walk, he would try to stand up and he'd fall, right? If, imagine if he, as an individual, could think at that moment, oh, I'm just not really good at walking. You know, I'm just not a walker. I'm not a walker. And he stopped trying to walk and he just crawled his whole life, right? That's literally how we incorporate our failures into our identity as an adult. And it's illogical and it causes mental health issues. It causes uh, poor choices, poor, uh, you know, uh, mm -hmm. ability to program yourself or self audit or, you know, be compassionate or to, you know, be thoughtful or any kind of thing like this. So, uh, luckily, He's not capable of that. So he just kept trying and trying and trying and trying and never incorporating his identity into any of those situations. He just kept trying, you know, um, and that process needs to be continued in all ways for our, our minds, for our whole life. And that needs to be encouraged by our society and our uh, family and our, our social group. You know what I mean? And if it's not, we get these toxic competitions and, and, uh, uh toxic, you know, mental health situations. And that's what we're seeing in the differences between hunter-gatherer societies and our society is that in this, in the hunter-gatherer society, the goal is to, everybody's going to make it. Everybody's going to be okay. And if somebody starts having issues, they do what they need to do for them. You know what I mean? They help them have the space to heal, have them have the space to think in a different way and encourage them to think in a different way. And, and it's not so isolating and, 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 and permanently labeling. And that's why I don't agree with cancel culture and, and what, what a lot of liberals are doing. Uh, and a, a lot of times it's people who are like, not the, the person they're trying to defend even. They're not like the person they're trying to defend. You know what I mean? They're not a black trans woman. They're a white liberal who's being, uh, who's, who's like being allowed on Twitter. You know what I mean? And a lot of times that is just a performative thing but then that's what gets the, the headlines because of a racial bias anyway. So the, the person, the actual uh, black trans woman who's saying like, hey, like stop arguing about these topics because that's and it's hurting me. And that, why don't you give me a voice? Don't speak for me. Give me a voice, platform me. Don't speak for me because then, because you don't know what it's like to be me. But that, and then, so then the right has criticisms of these liberals, that these white liberals, and then they're valid. And then that's where the com the, uh, the conversation gets confused because then when we're given a choice to have to uh, vote for Joe Biden or Donald Trump, we're still going to side with Joe Biden, even though we hate him, because he's better than an outright fascist. 
You know what I mean? Liberals are are, are are better marginally than fascists and only in a very marginal way, honestly. You know, it's like a it's like the difference between a person like hurting you maliciously and a person just like and a person uh, who just doesn't understand how to not hurt you. <laughs> Well, I feel like it's it's like there's a person who's like blind and is hurting you, and then there's a person who has a who put a blindfold on themselves and is hurting you and is pretending they're blind, and or, or like and they are they can't see at that moment, but they've put themselves in that position, and it's like you know like, uh, you know like uh, the difference between Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter. Blue lives aren't a thing; that's a choice. You're you're choosing to be a police officer. They can't choose to be a person of color. They just are. So it's it's not the same, uh, you know. Uh, no, yeah, no, absolutely. Equation. I think there's yeah. also some. Sometimes the, the problem is also that uh, sometimes when people try to speak up for uh, groups that they might not necessarily either be uh, part of directly, or or I'm I'm sure there are some uh, people who are well connected to groups that they aren't directly involved in. I mean, well, I mean, I guess they would be directly involved. I should directly related to, uh, but are directly involved in either because they have a partner who is in one of those groups or something, or they're just better educated and better integrated into those parts of society. Uh, but generally speaking, um, a lot of times people will try to to have a... I, I feel like there can be a lot of misguidedness, like a lot of jumping to assumptions from, uh, from, from white, cis, straight people and whatnot. About... Oh, yeah. Reactionary politics is very much active on the on on that side as it is on the other side. So so yeah, um, I do feel like these are all different types of. It's very muddy, and like the other problem though is that like a certain element of cancel culture is just um, a normal thing that's being amplified by the internet, right? Which is like we spent like hundreds of years, and I'm certain. I'm certain this is a thing I'm probably going to talk a lot about, but like we spent, like if you study like media literacy or anything, you will notice that like people have always been offended. Like the, people have always been offended. And what's really changed between now and then is just how people get offended. Like and how they can group their, uh, together and be offended more efficiently. Yeah. And like we kind of feel like, and like some people are like, maybe there's some just criticisms of the way that we do it now. But like, on the other hand, it's like, if we go back and far enough in time that like the same situation looks like people burning down theaters, the same situation looks like people um, uh, going to jail because they were offensive or, or whatnot. And like, like Lenny Bruce used to go to jail because he'd say fuck on stage. And now comedians are all like, I can't, it's so hard to do comedy nowadays. Much, I can't, I can't say F inward this word, you know? It's, it's like, it's like, man, Lenny Bruce went to jail. You're just, people are, people are just being mean to you online, which is the other thing, like, but once upon a time, if you were angry, you had to write a whole letter and you had to mail it and then maybe you'd never hear anything about that letter you wrote when you were angry again. Right. Or, and, or maybe you just get a form letter from a corporation saying, thank you for letting us know how displeased you were. <laughs> but nowadays you can just hop on the internet and suddenly you have put out uh, an idea you maybe thought about for 30 seconds and you can get instant reactions to it. 
And like, True. that's the real difference. The real well, you difference know what's... Oh, I'm sorry. The real difference is we've lowered the bar of effort and increased the, the, the output of reward for this behavior. That's true. Uh, you know, and I, I think it's interesting also is that, like, say, like, say, take ANCAPs, right? A libertarian. Yeah. They think that the way to regulate society and regulate businesses is voting with your dollar and public opinion. Uh, so why are they against uh, cancel culture then? Because the, isn't that the only way you're going to be able to regulate businesses that are dumping in your water? Is that because, oh, well, we're just stop going to them then and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll put our dollar somewhere else. And that, that, isn't that the free market then? And if we're all discussing and like even like you said, you got to admit that the truckers, regardless of whether you agree with their demands, they're exercising a leftist uh, tactic and, and organizing their labor power in negotiating for things from their capitalist masters, essentially, you know what I mean? And if they could just make the correlation between that power and what actual leftism and communism is and the difference between and socialism, the difference between that and liberalism and, and, and capitalism and fascism, they would see a very clear picture for themselves. But, but because the waters are, like you said, muddy, it's very hard to see these dis distinctions. And because the media is pushing a very specific narrative on both sides and the, the other people have a caricature of the other people and they're then not talking to each other really, they're then talking to bubble versions of each other, they're straw manning each other in, in that way and, and not trying to steel man each other's positions, they're straw manning each other and that's uh, the, the reality we live in and, and you know what I mean? And that's the two loudest voices in our room, you know? Oh yeah. And, and I feel like there's a, and like that, speaking of the media specifically, like a thing that bugs me is like the whole, like the concept for media's left wing. And like, I'll give them that maybe the media is liberal, but the media is not left wing. Like even NPR, like if you listen to NPR enough, What's one of the things they'll constantly say if you pay attention to all the names they say at the end of who pays for this? The Heritage Foundation. Like, so many programs on NPR are funded by the Heritage Foundation. And like, um, and like they themselves have their own shows that are specifically about the market, are specifically about investments and ma macro and microeconomical stories. <laughs> Exactly. So it's, it's still capitalism right and that's the thing is it's, it's and but but the, that's what makes this all so hard is that because you have to have such a long and nuanced conversation with anybody to actually get what is happening going you know what i mean and they have to be willing to critically look at their own preconceived uh, notions about this situation you know because the thing is is that uh all of the critiques that conservatives have about liberals i agree with but from the left, and I can target actually what the issue is and not just marginalized people being the target. You know what I mean? That immigrants or immigrants are stealing jobs. No, there has never been a job stolen by an immigrant. A capitalist decided to make more profit by cutting regulations, and then they would say, well, yeah, well, regulations are too high. And, and then so, so then it's like, okay, so you want to cut the environmental aspect? Do you want to cut that your worker rights aspect? Do you know so that, that you can give somebody workers comp or that you can give them a, a lunch break or you have to give them a, at least this much wage? Like these are the regulations they want to destroy so they can choose to pay you whatever they want so that they can drain everyone's wages, which they already have, through lobbying and getting their collective voice through their wealth to control 
uh, you know, what laws get passed and what what politicians get elected and what politicians get funded for campaigns. I mean, like it's a complete scam. And and the fact is they have valid criticisms of that. So like, and what's so hard is when we have to again, like, like uh, stand up for Joe Biden in a moment. And like, and that is just, I know it's like, bleh, like I hate it. And I, and that's why I try to give like, like, yeah, like, cool. Like, let's go Brandon. I mean, like, I'll just say fuck Biden and like, I'll mean it. You know what I mean? Like, can we agree? And then can we understand that there's a nuance here that's beyond this caricature you have of me, but the, what, what am I gonna do with one person at a time? You know what I mean? Like, I have no platform. You know what I mean? Like, what am I gonna do? So I, that's it's not really a valid approach to solving it either. And then, then then that goes against also this rugged individualism thing, uh, you know, because I, I don't have a, a system of infrastructure behind me to get it done. Like the, the thing I find frustrating specifically about the Biden thing is that like, like some days I don't like, sometimes I feel like I'd like to criticize him more, but like, like, uh, but like, I, I, ne I don't vocalize it as much because like, there's always this voice in my head going, um, I'm good. Am I going to encourage the wrong people? Am I going to encourage some person to be like, yeah, I'm only voting Republican from now on. It's like, oh, no, it's like, no, you're making it so hard for me to be mean to Biden. Because right. I feel like I'm encouraging you and I don't want to encourage you and your your terrible opinions. And, and you don't understand why I'm saying it or what I'm saying really anyway, you know. Exactly, exactly. And and it's it's very frustrating. It's very frustrating. Um, but yeah, so I, so we should, we should start to wrap it up though, but this has been a lot of fun. Uh, yes. so, um, so yeah. Um, so do you have any final statements you'd like to say on either communism or your business? Um, and, and definitely, um, let us know where people can find your work or, or, or how to employ your work. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that opportunity. Um, so I will. I'll just say, you know, like in a very linear way, this, it's much more dynamic than this linear path I'm going to present here. But um, you have fascism, which takes the critique of capitalism and points it at minorities. You have conservatism that's trying to uphold the already established hierarchies in place in society and norms in society that uh, it deems is just fine, no matter what uh, you know evidence you give to the contrary of its damage to the environment or to the people or to anybody except the uh, wealthy people at the top. Um, and then you have the liberals who say, yeah, that's all very bad that they're, that, you know, there's, there's only, uh, uh, you know, um, there's 680 billionaires in the country and uh, only, you know, four of them are black and that's terrible. There should be more black billionaires. Like, that, like, no, no, there shouldn't be any billionaires in that regard. There should be not this wealth gap of inequality and uh, the, the theft of labor. That that is one of the most important discussions that that's what communism is, is the critique of capitalism's uh, abuse of the uh, laborer and of the propaganda that's in, in, incurred in the society because of the ideologies of that ruling capitalistic class and what they deem is, you know, basically important. So, so then you have uh, socialism, which is a transitionary uh, uh, attempt to get to communism from liberalism uh, and uh, essentially, and that will take as many uh, institutions that are privatized in this in this uh, instance and make them nationalized. And what's hard about that is that because capitalism is still very much involved in, in, the, in the government, that often leads to corruption. 
and then still classism and then a, a funneling of uh, power to the top. So that's why socialism often is not the best means, I think, to do certain things. Um, but it's seen as a transitionary period between the two uh, uh, ideologies. Uh, and socialism, again, will like, you know, like, so uh, the internet would become a public utility, um, you know, and also nationalized. Uh, and, and then like the military would become uh, an actual truly nationalized where it's not popping up, uh, you know, um, uh, defense contractors and, you know, giant corporations and inflating prices so that they can continually steal the majority of our budget uh, for mm -hmm. their imperialistic uh you know, uh, uh, colonialism, essentially, um, you know, uh, so, yeah, uh, and then you have, um, so, so, then so, you have, you know, uh, communism, and there's, again, gradients between all these that are vast, and I'm, I'm doing a very quick overview, but yeah, communism, and I'm gonna go, I'm just gonna say, you know, various states of communism in, include, uh, you know, different ways of organizing how the labor is, is organized, how, the, who benefits from the labor, how much they benefit from labor, you know what I mean, who, who is taken care of, like all of that is not implied in just like the basic staples of like communism. That's why it's important for me that I, it's an intersectional anarcho-communism that I'm discussing, uh, which um, is, I think, uh, the, the better uh, route to go, which how you get there from where we are is a very difficult situation because you have to essentially use the government's power to sees certain things that it has done many times in the past for, for national emergencies during World War II. All the factories were said, nope, you're no longer making what you're making. You're not making cars anymore. You're making uh, missiles. You're making planes. You're making this. And that's because it was in the best interests of everyone to do that, to stop fascism from rising. You had to stomp it out. You couldn't just talk to them and be nice. You had to stop them from their advances. Uh, and uh, because it's not a forgiving or a a uh, you know uh, honest good faith ideology it is a greedy uh you know ever ever contrarian situation so that they will always remain on top and they will get what they want and so that's why it's not you can't concede to the fascist that's what, what the liberal fails at is they can try to concede or try to compromise with the fascists it doesn't work that's why you have to literally stomp them out so i'm not telling people to hurt uh, or go and kill uh, uh fascists or nazis i'm not saying that i'm just saying that that is traditionally how it had to be done. So uh, again, so uh, the way that we would get to that, we would have to seize the function of, of, of property. So like uh, you could no longer profit off of being a landlord. You know what I mean? Uh, you could no longer profit off of uh, hoarding um, uh, land and housing for, for things. So like right now there's 13 million vacant homes uh, uh, you know, and uh, there's 580,000 homeless people. So, uh, and 86, I think is what it is, 86% of that, uh, I could be wrong with that, but I'm pretty sure it's right around 86% of the homes that are uh, vacant, the 13 million homes are owned by some uh, two or three banks, right? So those banks are literally sitting on property they own and hoard and are keeping from homeless people. We produce three times the food that the entire population of the world can uh, survive on every year. And uh, there are millions and millions of starving people because they don't have money. We have more than enough housing, more than enough room on the planet, more than enough water, everything. 
it's only not being allocated because of capitalism and the hierarchy and the people that are in charge of that hierarchy and that they just want to conserve their power at the top and continue that and give nobody else democratic power. So again, communism is democracy in the workplace, uh, owning the means of production well, in, in cooperatively together, not having one individual steal my labor and, and, and uh, continually treat me poorly and, and also get, uh, have a threat of poverty and uh, coercion involved with every single uh, job you've ever had it, that was the backbone of why you got that job. Uh, so, you know, providing, providing uh, housing, food, uh, utilities, um, healthcare, uh, clothing, you know, access to all those things. It's not just saying like, you're gonna wear this one thing, you're all gonna wear, just live in these houses. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the, the dynamics would be very different than um, the markets that we're just accepting right now. They're predatory. I need clothes on my back. So therefore there will be markets of inflation and, and things to continually raise costs of my clothing. I need heat. So there will be constantly people trying to inflate and, and create more profit for themselves. So my heating bills will go up. I need housing. So my, because it's a predatory market, the housing will go up and, my, and I, everyone's trying to get from everyone. And that is a zero sum game for the collection of the people. And uh, only a couple people will come on top. And that social Darwinism is not how societies have been born, how they, how they thrive, or uh, you know, how they should be. It is how they die. So um, that is basically you know, my summary right there. OK, cool. And uh, once again, I'm speaking with Ryan Lubin, a business owner and communist. What is uh, the name of your company again? Thank you. It's IAC Laser Engraving. You can find us at IACLasers.com. Uh, we're also on Facebook, IAC Laser Engraving. Uh, we're also on Etsy, IAC Laser Engraving. Um, we do all kinds of custom laser work. We can do anything from wood to leather to certain metals to glass to acrylic to um, paper to cloth. Uh, uh, so many things. So chocolate, I can laser inscribe chocolate or macaroons. Uh, I can do all kinds of things. Uh, and within all those uh, genres, there's a plethora of uh, things I can do with acrylic. I can do with leather. I can do with, you know, bone, uh, like antlers and stuff like that. Uh, there's lots of things we do. Um, yeah, we, we uh, go to craft shows. We have a website. We uh, go to festivals. We uh, do everything we can. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, uh, thank you for joining us here. And, uh, and thank you, uh, thank you all for listening to us. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, man. Awesome. It's been fun. This is the mayor, the Meriwether Heights Police Department issuing a warning. If you think that Jordan Peterson is in a closet or possibly hiding under the bed of your house, please get out of your house. There is no reason to remain in that area if Jordan Peterson is possibly there. He is a danger to you and your family. You, the potential side effects of encountering Jordan Peterson are an irrational fear of any type of community project, an irrational fear of trans people, and of course, an irrational fear of women. Stay away from Jordan Peterson.